supersized, jam-packed edition of the Empire Podcast this week, we have amazing guests galore. First, there's the legendary star of the Pope's Exorcist, Russell Crowe. And if you have a problem with that, talk to his boss, the Pope. <laughs> then we chat to the new Mario and Luigi, the stars of the Super Mario Brothers movie, Chris Pratt and Charlie Day. And if you have a problem with that, talk to their boss, Nintendo. And finally, we talk to the stars of Air, Matt Damon, Matt Damon, and Marlon Wayans, Marlon Wayans. And if you have a problem with them, talk to their boss, Ben Affleck. All that and more on the movie podcast that has filed an HR complaint to the Pope, Nintendo, and Ben Affleck and eagerly awaits the results. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I am remote because I have had the lurgy this week, and James Dyer, our great big fucking nerd, has banned me from coming into the studio lest yes. I give him the lurgy and ruin his Easter. Hello, James. Thank you for this. You're very welcome. It's what Jesus would have wanted. You're in the studio. I am in the studio. Yes, that's very true. I am. I am. I'm sitting behind the desk. I'm in your seat. Yes, I'm, you are. I'm nestled firmly in your buttock crevice. <laughs> it's, uh, it's you're not nice. nestled firmly in my buttock crevice. <laughs> yeah, lest we spoil uh, your Easter plans. <laughs> I don't know. That's how I wanted to spend Easter. Oh my word! Uh, yeah, it's, it's good times. Good times. Good Friday yes. spent in Chris's buttock crevice. A good Friday indeed. A great, a great Friday. <laughs> the best of Fridays. Uh, if you will. Yes. Uh, we're also joined in the studio by Amon Warman. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Although I'm a little bit frustrated with the English weather. Um, you know, I left my house today. It was a little bit cold. There was a light hint of rain. I step out of Oxford Circus Station and it's now sunny. Like, where did I get... I, I need a memo. I need to get shades. And I, I felt like an idiot wearing a big old leather jacket coming out of Oxford Circus. And it was, it was hot all of a sudden. Yeah. If only like, there was some kind of app or something that <laughs> could tell us, you know, what the weather would be throughout the day. I mean, someone should invent that because it would be really useful. A forecast. English weather does not always follow the apps, <laughs> can we just say. Yes. Um, but yes. This is I'm very good. true. Hey, I'm on. You should move to Philadelphia because I hear it's always sunny there. <laughs> do you know yeah it's always hey, sunny hey Chris you, you referenced the TV show this is the I, monumental event I did one you have never seen and will never that, see I'm guessing that is not true I was forced to watch an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for the uh, much maligned and long laid to rest funny or dire segment on the uh, Pilot TV podcast See, I obviously I listen to every single one of those, and <laughs> I have to question the long-term validity of a section that is based on a man who finds nothing funny. Yeah, watching comedy programs and then reporting back on whether he found them funny. Yeah. Well, when it became clear that the answer was just no, 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 we basically retired it. The answer, <laughs> the answer to the question, funny or dire, is always dire. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, uh, It's Always Sunny is always funny, and you are an idiot, and a Fair fool, enough. and a brigand. I believe that was the <laughs> verdict of the segment as well. So, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, hey, listen, before we get into this week's listener question, uh, we should mention that uh, we are recording this on Thursday, April 6th, but today, when you're listening to this, or when most of you are listening to this, because I imagine most people listen to it the day it comes out, is Friday, April 7th. That means that tomorrow is Saturday, April 8th, and the day after that will be Sunday, April 9th. This has been your <laughs> helpful <laughs> days of the week. Kind of calendar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the speaking clock, only I'm more of a speaking cock, really. But I just tell people what day it is. Beep, anyway, uh, what the... <laughs> beep, 
<laughs> the day is Friday, April 7th, and I am a bell end. Someone's going to lose that. The twat sponsored by Accurist. <laughs> Chris Hewitt's daily twat. Anyway. Star Wars Celebrations in town. It's going to be very, very exciting. It's going it to be is. at the XL in London. Uh, we're going to be Kenobi. there. <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, okay. it's, going to be, it's going to be a ton of fun. We're doing a live podcast at 4 p.m. Saturday, April 8th, which is the day after Friday, April 7th, but the day crucially before Sunday, April 9th. Uh, we're going to be doing it at the Holonet News Stage, and it's going to be a celebration, because it's Star Wars celebration, of... Return of the Jedi. Come along. I don't believe that it's a ticketed thing. I think it's one of those things where you can just rock up and and uh, we'd love to see. We'd love to have as many people in that room as possible. I know that we're on at the same time as famous people on the big stage, but you've heard them speak. You haven't heard us speak about this specific thing. Anyway, <laughs> come along. It'll be a ton of fun. Ton of fun. Uh, what are you looking forward to in Celebration? What's the thing you're looking forward to most from Star Wars Celebration? What's the thing that you think is going to break the internet? Ahsoka, I think they're going to announce who's playing Grand Admiral Thrawn, uh, which is very, very exciting. At least to me, a person who has watched Clone Wars and Rebels. And I know who Thrawn is. Okay, I know who <laughs> Where does Thrawn originate? A Mon Woman. In the Star Wars movies. Fool of a Took. He originates from <laughs> Timothy Zahn, the author, in the book Heir to the Empire, which came out in, I want to say, the early 90s, where oh I read it. Fuck you, chiss everywhere. Yeah. I'm afraid yeah. Amon brought a knife to a lightsaber fight. That's right. You, your, your blur blur does not make you a Jedi. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Uh, from a certain but... point of view. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you given, are not a Jedi given... yet. Given all the table setting that they have done with the Mandalorian for Ahsoka, uh, and yeah, I think that's the thing that's going to be really exciting, at least for me. Um, there, there also may be some movie announcements, which will, will also be exciting. Yeah, that, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm looking for, I mean, maybe Bryce Dallas Howard will finally get her hands on an actual Star Wars. Mm. Uh, although this week's episode of The Mandalorian may imply that's not the case. Uh, who knows? But uh, no, no, a bit of thrown action. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I won't make another chiss joke about that. It's a shame, but you know. Uh, uh, yeah, here for that. I, I'm, I'm quite excited about Soaker, actually. Even though, though I'm, you know, I think this season of Mando's been a bit up and down. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Ahsoka, Ahsoka's a lot of promise. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I got my fingers crossed for that one. There's uh, going to be lots of stuff there, and that's it's going to be of interest. Yeah, but uh, this will hopefully be the celebration where they do lay out what's going to happen in the movie division of Star Wars. Mm. And uh, I'm excited slash cautiously optimistic about that, I guess. Question. I know that Answer. We're all, <laughs> we're all such big fans of Ryan Johnson's Knives Out movies. If there were Benoit be Blanc is Johnson. not canonically a Star Wars character, <gasps> that's your question. What if he was, though? <laughs> that would be amazing. I suspect Dark Side. <laughs> 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 I mean, maybe he'd be able to do still Knives Out 3 and Star Lightsabers Wars. Lightsabers out. Um, but <laughs> if there is a Ryan Johnson Knives Out Star Wars announcement and that would take him away from the Knives Out movies, would that be something that still excited us? I don't think that Ryan Johnson, I, I can't speak for him obviously, but he's now richer than God. I don't think <laughs> that he would put himself through that again, to be honest. Really? 
I don't think he would. I'm not. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Ryan Johnson well enough, to, you know, to 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 do that. But mm. I just have a feeling he went through. He got so much shit thrown at him by dickheads over the last Jedi. Why would you do that when instead you can make something that is pretty much universally beloved and for which you will receive, and I cannot stress this enough, a <laughs> fuck ton of cash that is driven up to your house personally, I believe, by Ted Sarandos. So uh, it's that you would go with that. You'd, you'd make Benoit Blanc movies until you keeled over, wouldn't you? If you if that was what, if that was the way if that was the path you took, you would do that, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean I, I, <laughs> Mon wouldn't <laughs> I I am not obviously averse to I, more. I I couldn't have. Sorry, go on. <laughs> but, no, sorry. Have you, are you okay? It's Pavlovian. I can't help myself. Anakin, uh, well, it's all out your system. <laughs> Where is I couldn't have? The more you tighten your grip of that impression, <laughs> the more it slips through my fingers. <laughs> no. Evacuate in a moment of triumph. <laughs> I think you were pressed chances. <laughs> As I was saying about Ryan Johnson and Star Wars, he has spoken over and over again about how much he... I have spoken. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, about how much he loves the Star Wars franchise. I think he would be up for doing one. And he has sort of spoken in recent times that his films are still on the table. It's just a matter of scheduling. Mm. So it feels like his, the desire for him to do it is still there. Maybe we'll get an update about that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that thing where I, I write off something categorically and then they, they <laughs> announce it yeah. tomorrow. It's going to You never know. You never know. You never know. But uh, yeah, because there was this talk that it seems like the next one's going to be this one that will be out in 2025, the one that was going to be written by Damon Lindelof or co-written by Damon Lindelof and, mm. and it's going to be written by Stephen Knight now because it is apparently the law that Stephen Knight has to write everything. He wrote my intro. Yes. For this, he did. He just <laughs> he just barged into this room and then just started budged me out of the way, and then just tip, tippity tap, tippity tap, <laughs> co-created a, an iconic game show while he was doing so, do, 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 and then you know, then he left out the window laughing, crying, "I'm richer than God!" Ha 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 ha! And then that that was it. I never saw him again, even though Sorry. that happened five minutes ago. Anyway, <laughs> should we have a question? <laughs> Please. Why not? Uh, Patrick Smith says, "Frank Lampard, why?" <laughs> wow oh, apparently this has to be a um, film related question okay but uh, yes why 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 uh, let me see let me see let me see let me see someone said, someone asked about eggs the best scenes with eggs in movies I presume of course he is referring to eggs because of Easter it is Easter this weekend is. Uh, what is it's your Easter, Easter? The what's your Easter miracles. are you uh, what, what do you guys do for Easter uh, Amon what's your Easter egg do you, do you eat Easter eggs you can't can you because of some you're allergic to eggs aren't you you're not allergic to Easter eggs, though, right? <laughs> I'm not allergic to chocolate, Chris. Um, okay. <laughs> but isn't there eggs in chocolate? No. See, my, my egg allergy, it's very much, if it's like scrambled egg or sort of not so like hang fully on. processed. Like, I can eat egg and like <laughs> so you can cakes have and biscuits. And fried. You just got to have scrambled. No, no, no. no. I, I can eat egg and like cakes and biscuits and that sort of All the of good thing. stuff. Um, but in terms of like a, a full English breakfast or anything like that, yeah. Like, which is full on. I, I, I can't eat anything like that. So, um, and obviously, Easter eggs are mainly chocolate. I'm, I'm very picky, so I don't really like caramel. I know. I'm very, I'm very picky like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, Easter eggs. Just Cambridge uh, caramel or caramel generally? Caramel generally is just not for me. Wow. Have you yeah. tried Tony's Chocolonely? 
or chug chocolone, not oh, chocolone. Tony's is good. The, sea, the little, the one the with the sea salt in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the salted yeah. caramel one is. Yeah, that's the one. Honestly, I want to try the thing that you mentioned, I think a while back, which is that you like to drop your Easter eggs from a height after oh, yeah. you <laughs> called them, right? I want to try yeah, that yeah. this year. This, yeah, this yeah. is yeah. genuinely yeah. the most delightful part of Easter for me. Because obviously dairy milk's available all year round, but there's something yeah. about having it in the egg configuration. It's like the lament configuration, but slightly yeah. different. Uh, and you put it in the fridge and it gets hot and then you crack it open. You have to <laughs> smash it and eat the fragments and it's, oh, it's a delight. <laughs> yeah, I want to try that this year. Yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I haven't actually bought any Easter eggs yet, so I need to rush out. Neither am I. Uh, usually, I pop out on uh, Easter Monday. I get up nice and early. I set my alarm, and I I do a supermarket run, and when I get the half price chocolate. Yeah, mm. Mm. yes, goodies, good stuff. Goodies, goodies. Hoover that shit up. Uh, it's incredible. <laughs> Stick it in the fridge. Lift your arms above your head. Drop it from a great height. Uh, make sure there's no one beneath you. Uh, don't drop it on someone. Drop it on the counter and then just eat the chocolate. There you go. It's, it's amazing. Anyway, yeah. the question was from Andy underscore Lane. Favorite scenes involving eggs in movies? Rocky's training routine. Solid. A solid <laughs> and most excellent start. Would you care cool to elaborate? Cool hand, Luke. Sorry. Oh, you'll carry on. Con continue. Continue. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what the quote is, but he he eats a lot of eggs and then he runs. Um, that is part of his sort of big training routine for the big, big fight um, at the end of his movies, which is always fun to watch. Uh, mm -hmm. Fun to watch, uh, something that I will never replicate. Even if I could eat eggs, I'm not sure if I want to do what Rocky does in those films, but it is impressive to watch. Yes. Cool hand, Luke, is the definitive egg sequence, though, is it not? No one can eat that many eggs. No one. Well, they could do, but it's bad for their cholesterol, <laughs> so I wouldn't advise. But uh, and yeah. another great egg scene: Beauty and the Beast, Gaston song. Beauty uh, and the Beast. <laughs> uh, again, I'm struggling with the quotes uh, today, but a part of the amazing song that Gaston has is when he sort of <laughs> he talks about that he, he talks he sings about eggs rather, and he eats a whole bunch of them as he does so. It's very fun. <laughs> You should never sing with your mouth full. That's just bad. <laughs> um, I very much like the Easter egg sequence at the end of Aliens when Ripley comes into the Alien Queen's Easter egg hunt and she opens all the Easter eggs for Ripley as a gift when Ripley and Newt come into her chamber, which is obviously very nice of her. And Ripley is rude and sets them all on fire. She does. In fact, you could say that the Alien Queen is a massive egg hunt. <laughs> Uh, but oh. yes, it's it's cool hand look, isn't it? It's cool hand yes. look. But, but eggs, eggs, alien, alien, not aliens, alien ahead of aliens in this mm, in this regard. I, I know, know James, you you don't like to uh, to acknowledge aliens' possible superiority in any department to James Cameron's uh, nineteen. No, aliens is the better film, but it also has more eggs. It has more eggs, but that doesn't mean it's the best. I mean, it, this oh, is the Chris. most iconic scene. Chris, John Hurt Chris, Chris. looking over an egg. The egg goes flippity flippity bloop, bloop, you know, face hugger. Literally what it on, does. It goes flippity flippity bloop, and there he goes. Yeah. It's him. I have remembered, nay, looked up on Google, <laughs> the lyrics to My Money's on Looked song. Up. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a lad, I ate four dozen eggs every morning to help me get large. And I now that pardon? I'm grown, I eat five dozen eggs, so I'm roughly the size of a budge. Aww. That's nice, wow. isn't it? Thank you very much. That was Bit good. Of singing. Bit of singing there. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Lovely uh, stuff. I will raise your singing. Well, I'm not really raising it, but Ghostbusters. <laughs> the egg cooking on the counter. Yes, Ghostbusters. Mm. That's, a good, yeah. that's a good moment. 
I love that scene. That's great. Uh, there's a there's a very funny joke in an airplane where a woman is sick. Airplane, James. It's a it's a comedy. It's a silly comedy, so you love it. But uh, airplane where a lady is uh, taken sick on the plane, and she just somehow Leslie Nielsen, the doctor, uh, Doctor Rumac, attends to her, and she suddenly produces eggs from her mouth. It's very funny. You have to be there. But uh, trust me, that's that's a good one. But yeah, it's cool hand look. It's cool hand look it's cool versus hand look. alien. Uh, cool hand look. A very, very cool character. Could not eat, I'm saying, 50 alien eggs. <laughs> Although that's a, that's the uh, the crossover I want to see now. How would, how would Paul Newman do in that situation? There's also Sanka and his lucky egg in Cool Runnings, which is always fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. And different types of eggs, right? So the Fabergé eggs... This all feels very much like we've done this this, this question before, but I'm sure we have. You're going octopusy. I'm going octopusy, but I'm also going game night, where they have the the, uh, the chase after the Fabergé egg in the in the house party, which is very funny and has a lovely uh, lovely winner in that as well. But uh, I'm pretty sure we've done this film. question every Easter. We do this question. We yeah. will do it again next year. We will give you the <laughs> yeah. same answers, probably in the same order. This is our gift. This is our curse. Uh, should we have another question real quick? Real quick. I want to throw this one at you. This is from Sophie Petzl, who is, of course, an acclaimed and brilliant writer, uh, but occasionally of this parish when it comes to Star Wars spoiler specials in particular. Her question is, which not very awardsy actor or actress do you predict will be nominated for an acting award in the next five years? Out there, guesses are welcome. Mine, this is Sophie, is Chris Pine. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. He's so great in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, he is. I think that's possibly too out there for me. Really? Why yeah. is it out there? I don't He's, see him getting a He came very, very close for Hell and High Water. He did. That is actually mm. true. That is a very good point. That is very, See, I, I appreciate him more as a comedic actor because I think he has an incredibly nice comedic touch. But uh, you're right, he's got dramatic chops as well. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. I, it feels like a stretch to me, but you know, it happens. He is now Hollywood's best Chris to me. I put him above Evans. Dun- Dungeons Ooh. and Dragons was a thing that put him over the top. Oh, that's um, a big claim. You don't See, think that's the case? So who's your, so who's your favourite Chris? Chris, Chris, obviously Chris. Who is your favourite Chris? Chris, <laughs> Chris, who's your favourite Chris? Uh, <laughs> I, I like them all. I like them honestly. I know people throw shit at Pratt, but I like him. You know, I think he's made some iffy choices of late but I think they all they all largely have the same skill set as well but Pine is so good in Dungeons and Dragons I think he's probably shown more range than any of the other ones uh, I would say that's as, as an probably actor. true yeah. I would put Hemsworth's comedy chops up there with his though I Absolutely. think he's a very talented yeah. comedic actor yeah. I think I think Pine can do pretty much everything that the other ones can do. I, I, I like Pratt and, you know, I interviewed Pratt in this, this very episode, but I'm not sure Pratt could do everything Pine can do. Whereas I think Evans and Hemsworth can do most things that Pine can do, uh, but Pine can sing as well. So he's like the real can deal. He? he can, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that Spider song. Um, was it? Is this Spider? Well, he's, he's in Into the Woods as well, so he's you know, he's got a he's got a good old singing voice on him. So, yeah. and of course, he he displays it to some degree in Dungeons and Dragons, which is well, my new yeah. film bestie. It's uh, a good it, job, Ryan Lane. It's a good job he's not uh, unbelievably handsome. Otherwise, you'd just you'd have to hate him, <laughs> wouldn't you? So, there was a video which came out in this Dungeons and Dragons press tour. Like normally, James, I don't know about you. I look, wake up in the morning, you know, I like, and I'm happy with my boldness. I just need to just do that and it's all good I don't, I don't spend all this product I have to shave time. my head every morning trust me it, the, the admin is real there are times that I look at actors on these press tours and I'm like 
damn, I wish I had hair. And so, <laughs> Chris Pine. Yeah. Just, he, he's he got has very good, good hair. hair. Yeah, very he gives me hair. Hair, hair jealousy. Yeah. Uh, I get hair envy yeah. for him, definitely. But anyway, the, the question, I think Zoe Saldana um, could be in with a good shout. Like, she, she has displayed dramatic chops before. I think she just needs that right project. But I would not be surprised if she got an Oscar nom in the next five years. I'm not sure if this answer applies because you want like out there, but like Florence Pugh, I, I'm sure she's going to get nominated. Oh yeah, I think that um, goes without saying. Yeah, you know? I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. Wasn't she nominated already? She was nominated already, wasn't I, she? Was she? Wasn't she? I, she feels I like she, she must was. have been. And if she hasn't, then she should have been because she is exceptionally. She's good. like talking about best actor of her generation in the conversation. She's, she's very, very good. good yeah. Um, do you know what? Like, like for me, like the most overlooked, and I know this may yeah. be an obvious one, is Andy Serkis. Mm. Like, I feel like he, his performances, specifically his performance character performances, have been so almost unbelievably good. Like, don't get me wrong, I've loved him just on screen generally, and in his many roles, we actually see his actual face. Mm -hmm. uh, but everything that he did in the Apes trilogy, obviously everything he did in Lord of the Rings, he's done so many amazing things, and I feel. You know, that ship has slightly sailed, but he deserved recognition for those. And I'm hoping at some point he will get the recognition he deserves because I think he's he's supremely talented. Yeah. Yeah. Florence Pugh nominated Best Supporting Actress for Little Women. Oh. Ah, uh, yes. That's there right. Spoiler. She dies. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to feel about that. <laughs> um, Good times. Yeah. Anyone else, real quick? Uh, I, I said I, I replied to Sophie Dave Batista. I, I was kind of, mm. I was tongue in cheek, but I think he is someone who is very serious about the craft of acting. Yes. And obviously, it all depends on the roles, right? It all depends yeah. on the roles. I, I think so. I was reading a really interesting piece. I can't even remember where it was a while back about. They were talking about why Hulk Hogan never managed to make it work as an actor because he's rubbish obviously is the answer but but you know even when he was playing like in No Holds Barred he was playing himself essentially or a version of himself it never really worked but since then we've had The Rock John Cena and Dave Bautista all three of them WWE wrestlers all three of them who I would see have broken through to the point where I mean The Rock I wouldn't say is a superb dramatic actor but he's larger than life in the way that Arnold used to be and He's one of the biggest stars in the world for that reason. Cena's put out some great, particularly comedy performances. So you look at his roles in Peacemaker, you look at him in Trainwreck, genuinely really fucking funny actor who leans into the absurdity of how he's perceived. And he has that self-awareness, which I would argue The Rock doesn't always have. Bautista, though, exactly as Chris said, he is a man who went into Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, concerned he couldn't act, worried, intimidated by that role, was told by James Gunn, look, if you can take direction, you'll be absolutely fine. And since then, I think he's, he's really got into the craft of acting. He wants to expand himself. He wants to increase his breadth and his skill. And I think he's genuinely trying to be a good thespian. Uh, and I think he's, he's now gravitating to, I think he's quite pleased to have Drax behind him so that he can gravitate towards more dramatic roles. And Knock at the Cabin, I think, showed me, certainly, that yeah, he's got some chops. Yeah. I've got a lot of time for old Dave. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Jeffrey Wright, who is an actor who always, always brings it, uh, would love to see him get some awards attention. Uh, I think he would deserve it. Uh, also, Nicole Behari. Um, last thing I saw in was Miss Juneteenth. Amazing performance. She should have gotten the awards recognition for that, really. Um, but yeah, she's another one. I oh, know, I tell a lie. The last thing I saw in was Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, which I don't think came out here, unfortunately. I saw it at a festival, but she was fantastic in that as well. So She's very yeah. good in breaking opposite John Boyega, which is yeah. 
out now. Um, very, very good indeed. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that's these are all these are all solid shouts, solid shouts indeed. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs, which remain open, perhaps foolishly, but there we are. And uh, <laughs> Or you can reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course, or you can wait for a panicked shout out every now and again as took place today. All right, so let's have a guest. Let's have Russell Crowe, shall we? Always. Let's have Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe on the Emperor Podcast. This is the first time he's been on the Emperor Podcast? I, I can't remember. I should have a database of this stuff. Uh, but it feels like it is. It feels like it's maybe first time around for Russell Crowe, uh, who's in a film that's out this week. It's called The Pope's Exorcist, which is a, about the uh, real-life figure of Father Gabriele Amorth, who is the uh, who was the Pope's exorcist. Uh, literally, he's like the Pope's right-hand man of God. And uh, in this slightly fictionalized take on uh, <laughs> Father Amorth's uh, tapes, uh, uh, Russell Crowe plays him as some sort of, I don't know, Amon, you've seen a rock and rock, rock star exorcist <laughs> fighting evil. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I like the, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but he brings a lot of levity uh, to this film and to the role that I did enjoy watching. Well, there we go. There we go. Because uh, the first thing I think about when I think about Russell Crowe is levity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Amon spoke to him. Uh, Amon, how was it? It was great. You know, I'm such a massive, massive fan of Gladiator. Um, so it was all I could do to not just go for my name is Maximus Decius Medius, but I kept it together. Kept the professional. I did ask a question about Gladiator 2, uh, which had an interesting response if memory serves. I haven't listened back to this yet, but it was a fun chat. So you were entertained? I was entertained. Good. <laughs> there we go. Are you not entertained? Ask yourselves this as you listen to this interview with Russell Crowe. Enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of The Pope's Exorcist, Mr. Russell Crowe. How are you, sir? Good, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I've heard that, much like myself, Horror movies aren't typically your bag. Uh, so now that you've been yeah. at the center of one, do you think you'll be dipping your toe into that pond a little bit more, either as a viewer or as an actor? Not as a viewer, no. <laughs> 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 I'm just not, uh, I'm not really a, a horror movie fan. I mean, I, you know, I like films that uh, take me on some kind of psychological journey, but um, for the most part, if I'm watching a film, I, I just want to be entertained. I don't want to be nailed to my seat you know um but i think this film has a balance you know there's definitely traditional horror aspects and it goes into you know things that uh you would expect as it says on the box you know as a horror movie you're going to be scared at certain points yeah for sure you will but you know i think there's other aspects to it you know there's a sort of a a slight da vinci code aspect a little bit of indiana jones and there's quite a decent amount of humor so i think the film balances itself yeah. Yeah. What was it about Father Gabriel that made you want to leap into this genre? Well, he had a fascinating life, man, mm. you know? And, and that's the thing is like, what, what really um, compelled me wasn't necessarily what was on the page in the script when I first read it. It was the idea of this character, you know? And I spent quite a bit of time then looking into him, looking into his life. I went to Rome, I met with some of his friends, I met with people that worked with him, and I just wanted to honor him. You know, he had this incredibly interesting life. Mm -hmm. At 17, he leaves Modena, and he goes to Rome because he feels he's been called 
to the priesthood. But he gets there and he talks to the brother that's in charge, and, and that guy says, mate, you're 17. Hmm. You know, you're too young. Go and learn something about life and then come back when you have something to teach, you know. Hmm. So he goes back to Modena. It's 1942. Obviously, hugely disappointed, you know, but hmm. Second World War is raging, you know, and now it's coming to his hometown, so he has a choice. So he joins the resistance and becomes a partisan fighter against the fascists. Now, here's this young man who felt he'd been chosen by God. Now he has a gun in his hand and he's shooting to kill and he's being mm. shot at. You know? mm. And, you know, he was wounded through that conflict. He comes out of his war years and goes to law school. Goes to law school, completes his law degree, mm. starts working as a journalist. And then he goes back to that same brother and he says, I still have the calling. Mm. And then the guy says, well, now you've lived. You know, you've got some wisdom on board. You've had some heavy experiences of your own. You've got things to teach people and, you know, and some empathy. So it's the perfect time for you to become a priest. So then he mm. goes to theology school. So, mm. you know, and then that starts 30 years of being a journalist with the, the polists, you know, uh, producing radio, producing television, writing hundreds and hundreds of articles for um, intra-church magazines, you know. And it's not till he's 60 that mm. Father Candido taps him on the shoulder and says, Gabriele, you have to take over as chief exorcist for the Vatican. And he was mm. stunned. He was like, mm. none of my experience leads to this. How can you be mm. choosing me? And Father Candido says, I can't tell you exactly why I'm choosing you, but I know that you're the man for the job. And then 36 years as the chief exorcist for the Vatican, having to deal with afflicted people all the time and their families, people are going through the darkest parts of their life, you know, and he's the man who's supposed to give them some kind of comfort, you know, or bring them to the light, you know. So to me, it was a fascinating character, man, you know, mm -hmm. so rich. And the other great thing is because he was a journalist, 12 books, you know, he documented his life. It's there for us to read about. So, I mean, it was just a royal gift as far as an actor is concerned. You know, you've got, you know, he's a man with this interesting life, but he's telling you about his life in his own words. Mm. You're not reading a third-party assumption or, you know, the, the crime of biography, as Oscar Wilde used to call it, <laughs> you know. And, uh, he's telling you his, himself what he experienced. And for me, you know, that character comes down to two things. He deals with the stuff that he deals with because the way he does, because of the purity of his faith mm. and his sense of humor. And yeah. that's the thing that I wanted to make sure came into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And no, you really tap into that sense of humor. One of my favorite lines in this uh, concerns the World Cup, uh, which did make me chuckle. <laughs> Would I be right in assuming that that is an ad lib? Uh, because it was very good. <laughs> no, not exactly an ad lib, but a well-studied uh, cultural um, quip uh, yeah. from an Italian, for sure. <laughs> Very good. Speaking of humour, I did get a kick out of watching you ride around in a scooter uh, a couple of times in this film. Would that be? Did that take a, a long time to sort of get the hang of, or was was that sort of? No, not at all, man. I've, yeah. I've been a motorcycle rider for a lot of my life, you know. And I, I've done motorcycle trips down here, man, on 
Harleys or whatever where, you know, I've done 7,000 Ks. Awesome. Yeah. So it's sort of like it, that particular model Lambretta has a three-speed change on the left-hand side. Um, so that was a little tricky to get used to as opposed mm. to, you know, uh, pedals for your gear changes or whatever. And, and obviously it's a very old machine. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes it would roll through the gears when you weren't necessarily wanting it to um, <laughs> yeah. or bounce out of the gears if you hit a particularly bumpy road. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think you can see I'm pretty comfortable on a bike. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad that you have confirmed that you have read the books and the books are indeed good because that is another sort of funny gag in the film. But if you could... Actually, ask Father. Well, see, that comes from me. That comes <laughs> from me constantly being in, in meetings with the director, going, "But in the book, it says this," you know. And he's like, "Oh man!" <laughs> so it became a running gag during the course of production, as well as uh, actually into the film. <laughs> I love and that. And you can see that thing we were playing with about him being prideful because you don't produce the amount of work that a guy like he produced without mm. him having a, you know, a, a, like a very definite, compelling and knowing reason for doing it. And, and you mm. know, part of him, even though he's a, a man of God and, you know, he's there to give to other people and, and, and help other people, he, he still was proud of what he would produce as a writer, you know. With all that being said, if you could actually sit down with Father Gabriel to ask him about any one scene in this movie, what scene would it be and why? Well, I think, you know, I'd want to know about his early life, of course. Um, mm. I'd want to talk to him uh, about that because I find all of that fascinating, you know. But, you know, in, in reading his book, some of his experiences, his, his direct experiences and, you know, knowing the difference between when he's writing about something that was a, a physical reality or something that was an imagery put into his head. And uh, I would have, I'd have a thousand questions, man, mm. you know. Uh, as I do for all of these subjects on uh, religion and belief and and what constitutes evil and what is uh, goodness, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask about a film called Gladiator. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and I know that Gladiator 2 is now happening. There's a finished script and everything I hear. Um, but I have seen scripts floating around in recent years that had Maximus in it. Had you ever had conversations with Sir Ridley about returning for a sequel with your character? Well, we had a lot of conversations back in the day, you know, mm. but our attitude back then was that, um, you know, we're, we're fully aware because we were the ones on that set of how many bullets we dodged making that movie. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and so quite often if we talk about it, it's usually over a drink and it's usually the two of us having a laugh, you know. You know, mm. I remember such and such and what have you, because <laughs> there were some extreme circumstances on that film. But, you know, there was one of those kind of like fires that forged something really special, you know. Um, yeah, I have absolutely no connection to the next production, you know, and, and I always sort of, you know, uh, early on, I, I didn't want to explore another one, you know, because the people were saying, oh, we could, it's really easy. You know, three days later, they open up a cave and there you are and you're better now. <laughs> no, I, mean, I don't think you can get the rights to that book, bro. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and there was, I thought, a, a really interesting idea about um, finding uh, Maximus not 
in heaven or in hell, but in, in limbo. Mm. Um, that was an interesting thing that we pursued for a while. But then, you know, I think we're both sort of really respectful of, of um, what that film achieved. But I think enough time has gone past in, in Ridley's mind, you know, to, to do a second story without stepping on the first one. I mean, it's a very unusual situation, Gladiator, man. It's, mm. you know, it's 2023. We shot that film in 1999. 24 years later, and somewhere around the world, every day of the week, it will be showing on primetime TV. Mm. You know, yeah. it, it just has really long legs, man. So, um, but, you know, it, it, my main thing with that would be if if that's what ridley wants to do if he, that's what he's into um and if he can get the right budget to do the physical production that he wants to do let's see it man let's mm -hmm. go <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. now that you got paul mescal and denzel washington this is a film that i'm very very excited to see um one of my favorite recent performances of yours is in thor love and thunder as zeus when Taika told you that you'd get to wear a skirt, was that the thing that sold you on wanting to do that role? <laughs> well, you, you know, look like I've you're had, having I've, all the fun and then some. <laughs> I've had, you know, quite a bit of success wearing skirts in the past. You know, <laughs> uh, Maximus had a nice little blue. I used to call it the netball uniform. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, look, just the idea of working with Taika was great. And we, we'd actually got together a year or so before in Los Angeles just to meet and and talk, you know, and uh, we got on really well. So when he brought the idea to me, I was open to it, you know. And um, when I realized he was going to allow me to have as much fun as that, then mm. I was, like, really enthusiastic about it. You know, originally the studio and he wanted me to do the character in an English accent. Mm. And I kind of pushed back against that because I sort of, like, on behalf of on behalf of, of Greeks around the world, I just thought that was unfair. <laughs> you know? And I was just like, you know, let me have a go at it. So they, they did, but that meant that my shooting days were quite difficult because every single scene we shot twice. You oh, shot wow. once uh, with me doing a Greek accent and once with me doing an English accent. And um, the producers at the time said, look, you know, we'll do it this way and then we're going to, screen both and it's going to be straight down the middle we're not going to bullshit about it we, we're going to go with the characterization that gets um the most reaction so uh true to their word you know when they they screened it zeus as a greek man won by a mile so they went with <laughs> the greek accent you know but yeah i mean tyke is a, a genius man and and it was a privilege to be on those sets that's been in a very successful franchise and um you know christopher was a very genial host and and really easy to get on with and, and a lot of fun he's he's a great actor actually man yeah you know, so it was he's got extremely good comic timing and so it was just fun yeah totally agree and you're going to be stepping back into that sort of world very soon in craven the hunter what was it that attracted you to that to that film and to that role well in that film they let me be russian <laughs> <laughs> Look, you got to understand who I am, man. I'm just an actor, mm -hmm. you know? People over time have painted all these pictures of, like, you know, Hollywood tough guy and all this sort of bullshit. But mm -hmm. bottom line is, mate, I put on makeup for a living. That's my gig, <laughs> you know what I mean? So the more extreme the character, the more interesting the character, the more 
things I have to learn or be challenged by, then that's what I lean into. So, mm. you know, I'm And the more you get to wear skirts. Well, it's not always an emphasis, but you know, you know, if if it's a hot summer, it's not a bad choice. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh Russell, I'm gonna have to let you go. Uh thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Cheers, man. Look after yourself. Okay, so that was Russell Crowe. We will be talking about, but possibly not reviewing due to embargoes, the post-exorcist <laughs> later on. <laughs> Who knows? We shall see. Uh, for now, it is time to talk about this week's movie news, and thankfully there is none. Let's move on now to <laughs> this week's other guests. Uh, no, there's a shitload of movie news. Hmm. Fuck! You no, know, there's only one place to start, though. Make way! Make way! No! No? <laughs> Yes, yes. No, No. I'm I'm going straight for live action Moana with Dwayne the Rock Johnson reprising his role as Maui. I'm here for this shit. Amon is Ken. James is Alan. There is only one Alan. I'll beat you both off. I'll beat you off. Uh, okay, else so for get me, of Dan Stevens's interview <laughs> when 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 watching that scene. all very deliberate, all <laughs> absolutely deliberate. Uh, all right, on three, let's all talk at once about the thing that excites us most this week. Okay, I'm sure this will not be unlistenable in any way, shape, or form. Three, two, one. Spoilers! For me, it was the Barbie trailer. There was something really great after months of speculation about whether this would be what what is this film? What is Greta Gerwig up to? And then, oh, sorry, guys, it was uh, Spider first okay i'm on let's start let's start with you <laughs> yeah so you got uh the <laughs> second trailer for spider-man colon across the spider-verse spider-man's colon <laughs> uh cannot wait for this film uh the footage looks great they they recreated the meme again which was hilarious and um, we've got some interesting story details as well uh, especially as it pertains to the pizza who trained Miles in the first film because he now has a kid, uh, which is awesome. So yeah, I really obviously enjoyed this trailer. I'm hyped for this film. I will say that the actual craft of the trailer could have been slightly better. They use What's Up Danger, which is of course the iconic track from the most iconic scene in the first movie. I would have liked them to have actually used a different track. And even in some of how they craft the trailer just edit wise it feels like they're throwing a lot at you and a lot of it is very exciting don't get me wrong but they could have edited edited it slightly better i think with yeah, all that take, being said take that editors do your job better <laughs> do you with think all... that they gave too much away i mean uh, there seems to be a very strong implication uh that spider-man 2099 the mm-hmm. miguel o'hara who, mm-hmm. no relation to helen who by the way is out <laughs> running just fucking endless she was running <laughs> she was running um on your left is being said <laughs> to helen a lot this week and uh you know it seems that he is the i i hesitate to use the word villain but he is the antagonist of this yeah. movie and I, I i saw someone say that they could identify the beginning and middle and end of the movie from the trailer and i don't think they're wrong hopefully mm. they are wrong i didn't feel that way um, you know, time that way, tell. that way. <laughs> oh gosh, well, well, it's timing. Soon, soon, but not quite. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't feel that way watching it. Time will tell. Um, just how much that trailer revealed, but I feel like they've got more tricks up their sleeve. Um, you know, they're they're still, I think, a couple of uh, different worlds, different universes, which they haven't uh, revealed. Um, they've, they've announced that there's going to be five different ones. I don't think we saw five different ones in this trailer. 
Um, yeah, there's still there's still a ton of stuff. I didn't feel that way at all. All right. Well, one trailer I haven't seen this week is Extraction 2, and mm. I'm not sure I la, want la, la, to. La, 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 la. You do? It looked <laughs> do loads I? of fun. Yeah, I really like the trailer. Uh, Chris Hemsworth gets smacked in the head with a brick. So that's mm. nice. By one of the other Chris's? Or? <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, Chris Pine unexpectedly crashes the film, twats him with a brick and then leaves. Is that is he playing a character called Drake Brick? Yes. I hope so. Yes, that is his character. <laughs> he's, he's up against the nominative determinisms. Uh, so it's Keith Dildo, Drake Brick, <laughs> Rodri Cactus. <laughs> and <laughs> oh dear, I'll just tickle myself. It's fine. Uh, anyway... Yeah, I, I really like the first one, so but I, I'm just now loath to watch trailers in case they give things away. Yes, no, I don't. It's more like is... this trailer is more of a sequence. Yes, it's uh, although it's wildly over the top. There's a bit with a gun which is insane at the very end of it. Yeah. It's him trying to get someone out of a prison in the middle of a riot, which is it's, so it is largely an extended sequence. There, yeah. remind me the name of the character I'm on. His name is Tyler Rake. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'd forgotten what the whole name was. Yes. The inimitable Tyler Rake is back. That's Gordon Ho. Worthy of Jason Statham. Yeah. Is. No, we're not quite in Orson Fortune territory, but we're not fucking far off. Michael yeah. Shovel. <laughs> Just go to B&Q. There you go. Inspiration enough. I'm, I'm excited about that one. Uh, let me see. Uh, the other trailer this week that was pushing everyone's buttons. In fact, there was a whole marketing campaign this week that was pushing mm. everyone's buttons. Which has, has taken over the internet with these little Barbie memes. Yeah. It really has. Uh, is Barbie. Uh, yeah. Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Uh, like I say, for months, people have been wondering what the fuck is this movie? And like, we're and still, still kind I of am. in the same camp. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what the fuck is this movie? Uh, yeah. But it looks like it's tons of fun. This is the, the first time we saw footage and official character reveals from the movie. We got official confirmation. It's been speculated for months that is not just one Barbie and not just one Ken in this movie but it takes place in Barbie land and there are loads of Barbies and loads of Kens but there are deep cut references as well to discontinued or um, unsuccessful Barbie spin-off toys in the past so things like uh, a character called Midge uh, it was a pregnant character. Uh, she's played by Emerald Fennell. And there's a, a Ken's best friend, which was a, a, a doll called Alan, who was brought out briefly in either the 50s or the 60s and very, very quickly discontinued because nobody liked him. And uh, he's played by Michael Sarah. And Simu Liu is in the movie. And Kingsley bennett is in the movie. And Issa Rae is in the movie. And it's just an incredible, incredible cast. Just this, And it looks enormous fun. I, I think it's going to be great. Uh, I could already, I could hear James's sphincter tightening with anger as he watched the trailer. And that saw is jokes. not true. That is not true. I found it perplexing but charming. So we shall wait and see. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's one of these things where if somewhere else were in charge of it, I'd be like, this film is going to be stupid and silly and I will hate it. Yeah. I suspect this will be very, very arch and meta and I think it will have lots of teeth and I think it will make lots of social commentary and actually I think there'll be a lot a lot in there for me as well as the silly jokes. Yeah, in Gerwig, we trust. Indeed. For sure. And, and Baumbach. Yeah. Noah Baumbach, of course, Greta Gerwig's partner in real life uh, who co-wrote the script with her and I just love the idea of these highfalutin New York intellectuals writing jokes like, I'll beat you off. Yeah, you think I'll beat <laughs> both of you off. Um, and just like the, the stupidest, glorious, most gloriously stupid jokes you could possibly imagine and the, the, the comic, the comedic chemistry between Margot Robbie and uh, and Ryan Gosling as Ken is is absolutely off the charts from, from what we can see. So it seems to be that Barbie somehow comes to the real world, breaks through the 
the sort of the veneer separating her reality from ours and and Will Ferrell's the CEO of Mattel, so it's all very meta or met Mattel. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. July 21st, uh, Oppenheimer, mate. Ooh, you got your work cut out. <laughs> you have your yeah. work cut out. No, but uh, I, but I'm, don't just take my word for it. Let's hear from Noah Baumbach, uh, who <laughs> 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 who spoke to Helen last about his movie <laughs> that came out last year, <laughs> the name of which I, I can totally remember. <laughs> It's, it, yeah, it's not coming to my mind either. Um, <laughs> what was I, it called? Uh, I, I remember not, was it White Noise? Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I remember not, not liking it very much. Uh, I suspect that won't be the case for Barbie. I will say this. If ever there was a film that was crying out for a cover of a certain track on a trailer, it's Barbie World for Barbie. We've had two trailers for Barbie. We have not yet gotten that. I'm hoping that the third and potentially final trailer what, pulls the, the trigger on that. The Aqua song. Yes. I mean, come on! You, you tell me you don't. Well, th- this is the perfect. T- when else are we going to have? I an feel, like this? Amon, that you are mistaking Greta Gerwig for a first base filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying to put it in the actual film. Uh, I think they've come out and said it's not going to be in the film. But I, in I the think trailer, she's probably. I think more likely to have a cover of Master of Puppets on there or something. I think that's probably more her oeuvre. But uh, know. who knows? Greta Gerwig is not a first place filmmaker. She is a filmmaker who directed Florence Pugh to an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress for her tragic role in Little Women. Yes, where she dies. Where she dies. Just like Tony. Horribly. In, in, a, in a hail of bullets. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> What version of Little Women did you watch? I must admit, it was an unexpected turn of events. I'm not going to lie, I, I didn't see she, it coming. I thought she went off a barrel over Niagara Falls. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Write in if you can remember how Florence Pugh died in Little Women. Uh, do let us know. Uh, anyway, there's some there's some more movie news this week. Uh, I know James is itching to get to Moana. I'm going to make the fucker wait. Uh, let's, let's, see what, let's see what else there is. Paddington 3. I see what's happening Oh my here. God. I can't believe Amon actually excitedly went, Shrek 5! Oh my God. Shrek 5! What is wrong Hold with on. you? Did you guys not see Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, one of the best films of the year so far? I okay, did. First and of it, all, let's calm down. It was very good, but let's calm down. Not? No, 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 no. It absolutely is. And that teed up the Shrek 5 film. And yeah, I am genius. I got, I got, I got, I got, I got the I thing the is. Shrek as a character is a little bit hateful. So, <laughs> like, while I'm not going to rule it out, because frankly, if you had put a gun to my face and said, put some boots to Last Wish, mm. star rating, I'd have been like, it'll be between a one and a two, and I shall brook no discussion on this subject, and I would have been wildly <laughs> wrong. So, maybe they will redeem Shrek and he'll be fabulous. However, mm. I'm skeptical. I'm optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so, Amal, what is the new story about Shrek 5? I mean, after all, this is the point of the section. <laughs> Not just to name films and then just stop talking. Shrek 5! <laughs> <laughs> Pilot 3! Moana! Um, yeah, I'm just reading the article one second. Oh, God. <laughs> can't expect me to have all this information to have. I can't expect you to be prepared like a professional. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> It's a better be worth Anytime it. Anytime you're ready. It's a better be worth it. <laughs> Shrek Five is in production, and everyone who talks about it on a podcast will receive one million dollars. That is better. Better be what you're about to say. So Shrek Five is in production, and everyone involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so Illumination boss Chris Melodandri uh, Illumination has, <laughs> has talked up the idea of a new Shrek uh, uh, film uh, in an interview uh, this week. And so, yeah, he wants to reunite the entire original cast, which would be very, very cool. Uh, Eddie Murphy. Shouldn't be difficult given that they're animated. <laughs> oh, you mean the voice cast? To do, you don't know. Um, but yeah, Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, potentially all reuniting for a fifth Shrek movie. I would be here for it. I was up for it. Honestly, the end of Puss in Boots, uh, The Last Wish, which heavily hints at, um, mm. you know, our, our, our furry hero, our furry feline hero is heading back to see his old pals. Uh, spoiler alert for Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Uh, and Florence Pugh dies at the end of that as well. Uh, no, she doesn't. <laughs> In a hail of bullets. No, she, she nearly dies at the end of it, but I don't think she dies. Um, and, uh, you know, that kind of, for the first time in a long while, I was like, oh, I'd be quite up for seeing Shrek and Fiona and Donkey and all those guys again. Thank I'd, you, I'd Chris. be quite up for that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, let's, let's make this happen. Let's make this happen. But not as excited as I am going to be to see the return of Paddington. Because yes. it was confirmed this week that Paddington in Paddington Peru, Blood and Marmalade is coming to our screens. <laughs> and I'm pretty psyched about it. He's coming to fuck shit up. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be very exciting. It's gonna start filming this summer, Paddington in Peru is the official title of Paddington 3, and you'll never guess where he goes. <laughs> I mean, I know the Camden. Elizabeth... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paddington and Camden. Um, he gets stabbed within five yes, minutes. It's very, very short, yeah. He gets stabbed outside He'd of He'd die in a hail of bullets. <laughs> what is this obsession you have with people dying in a hail of bullets? <laughs> I mean, I, frankly, I was up very late watching uh, watching Ruse de Guerre, and frankly, a lot of people die in a lot of hails of a lot of bullets. This, so this is very true. That yeah. movie might have done better if it had been called Operation Fortune: Hail of Bullets, and not yeah. some sort of <laughs> Ruse de Guerre. Yeah, some perhaps name a little bit highbrow for the film. It's a, but we'll get on to a that. little bit highfalutin for a film that ain't highfalutin. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Paddington Three, Paddington in Peru. Obviously, he's going to go back to Peru, uh, presumably find out what actually happened to Uncle Pastuzo, who faked his death. Um, to move in with a different lover, I'm guessing. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. uh, anyway, Paul King, who directed mm. the first two movies, which are perfect, uh, is not back to direct this one. This is instead going to be Dougal Wilson, um, who is going to make his directorial debut. Simon Farnaby and Mark Burton and Paul King did the story. Burton co-wrote the screenplay with John Foster and James Lamont. Yeah, exciting. Paddington 3, Parabellum. <laughs> I Prepare really hope, for marmalade. <laughs> I really hope Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage get invited to the premiere and have a great time. Yes, so do I. <laughs> Very much so. I really that hope would they be do. the best. <laughs> Hate two. Sorry, I'm just getting excited. This is the way we announce films now on the podcast. Yeah. We just yell out the name of the film. Uh, Heat two. Do you guys have you guys seen this news? Actually, no. Yeah. All right. Okay. So it's been confirmed that uh, Michael Mann's next movie after Enzo Ferrari is going to be Heat 2. It is going to be his Hot adaptation of his novel, which he co-wrote with Meg Gardner, which came yep. out last year, and which is both a prequel and a sequel to 1995's Heat, one of the greatest movies ever made. It wasn't nominated for a single Oscar, but there you go. Uh, and he seems to have already found his young Neil Macaulay because, you know, spoiler alert, Neil Macaulay, uh, Robert De Niro, dies at the end of Heat in a... a hail of bullets. Hail of bullets. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's no getting Florence Pugh. There's no getting around it. There's no, yeah. And uh, in a left field casting choice, Florence Pugh will play a young Neil Macaulay. She was like, she was like, I, I've got two questions. Do I die? And is it in a hail of bullets? Yeah, she's in. If so, I'm in. Um, so she's going to be in it. No, he's not. No, she's not going to be in it. Uh, Adam Driver. Adam Driver is going to be young. <laughs> Robert De Niro, uh, despite I think not looking anything like Robert De Niro, but this is going to be interesting. Is this going to be one of the few roles for which Adam Driver will cut his hair? Mm. So maybe this, maybe Neil McCauley had a slightly you know he had a floppy do back in his youth. Maybe he did. So it's uh, it's party set nineteen eighty eight. Just to give you the broad brushstrokes of it all. So the, the the film kind of focuses on the Fal Kilmer character, the Chris Shahirless character in the sequel elements of Heat. Uh, but there's obviously a Vincent Hanna portion to that as well. And the Chris Shahirless character goes to different parts of the world and kind of becomes this mad Jason Bourne esque super ass kicking dude. Uh, and Vincent Hanna's back in LA trying to pick up the pieces of his life. And But there's also a bit set in Chicago in 1988, so seven years before the events of Heat, uh, and in which both Hanna and Macaulay are working in Chicago. Uh, and Hanna is a cop, obviously, and Macaulay is is a criminal, uh, putting his crew together, and he comes he comes up against someone who is um, a, a wrong'un. And that's all I'm going to say on that one. So I, I thought the book was, was great, and there's definitely mileage there for for a movie adaptation and clearly michael mann and adam driver enjoyed working together enough to to have another go at it so we shall see start placing your bets now for who's going to play young vincent hannah uh, and old vincent hannah and young christian hearless and old christian hearless fantastic four fantastic four uh, josh friedman is going to who was one of the writers on uh, in james cameron's avatar sequel palooza writer's room uh i'm not sure if he was he was he credited on avatar 2 i think he might have been uh he is going to write the script for matt shackman's take on the uh fantastic four which will be coming out in 2025 uh amon where do you stand on this yeah, I'm intrigued, but I'm not excited. Uh, you saying that uh, he was one of the writers on the new Avatar film does not <laughs> get me excited. Steady, I, I just, I, I thought that film was fine. I know that you're fine. Wow. <laughs> You're either a pie can or a pie can't, and you right now are being. Don't, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I think we all know what pie you are. I oh, know that it's five stars Empire Magazine, but it's three stars Amon Woman for me, that film. Um, so, so yeah, I, and I don't know enough of James Friedman's work to really feel any type of way about this specific type of news, but. Or indeed his name Josh Friedman. <laughs> I'm looking at the article. What the hell is it? It's because I'm staying at James right now. That's why. Yeah. Um, Josh. Yeah. Josh Friedman. Um, Josh Dyer. <laughs> don't, don't confuse me any more than I already am. Um, so, yeah, but Fantastic Four, uh, that as a concept, if they nailed that, I think it'd be really, really interesting and really, really great for the future of the MCU as well because um, they will... I'm guessing have a big part to play in phase five and six, not just their own film. So hopefully they nail it with this solo film to really yes. tap into the essence of what makes these characters great. And it seems weird to say this, but they need a win, don't they? <laughs> They're Marvel right now. It's true. They need a win. Well, that's um, part of the reason why I really like the Secret Invasion trailer. How's that for a segue? Oh um, my word. <laughs> uh, because 
you know, if the, the the tone of that feels a lot more serious, and I feel like it's come at the right time for Marvel, given how at least for me some of their comedic stuff has been very hit and miss. So yeah, yeah. So this is the uh, Nick Fury and a whole bunch of other people, including quite possibly the most stacked cast I can remember in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have. Uh, Kingsley Benadir again. You have Olivia Coleman of all people showing up in an MCU project. You have Sam Jackson, obviously. You have Ben Mendelsohn as uh, Talos. You have Emilia Clarks in there also, and there's other people uh, as well. And this is about some nasty scrolls who are infiltrating the the world. And uh, it Scroll looks fucked. good. Oh, and Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle's in there mm-hmm. also as as Rhodey. I mean, it looks mm. it, it looked a bit more somber than I was expecting. Um, a bit darker than I was expecting. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm crossing, crossing the fingers. I mean, for it's that still one. Marvel. There's still going to be some levity. There's still going to be some jokes for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm all for the darkness and uh, the tone that this yeah. trailer itself looks to be setting. Um, Indeed. So yeah, hopeful. Right. Hopeful. Very, very quick. Uh, I'm just going to mention before James bangs on about Moana for 55 minutes. Uh, <laughs> that if you want to see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny a month before it is released in the rest of the world, get yourself to the Quasette in Cannes uh, because Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, like the expensive fan fiction film Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which came out in 2008, <laughs> uh, is going to make its debut at the Cannes Film Festival a full month before it comes out in cinemas. So good luck avoiding spoilers for that. Wait, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull debuted at Cannes? Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. Mm. Where we gave it four stars. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> it was, uh, moving the, on. It was a very fun day. I queued up for ages to go see the movie, and then I walked around in a funk for the rest of the day. True story, folks. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Indiana Jones anyway. and Destiny. Jimbo, Moana. Make way, make way. Moana's coming back. This has got to be the quickest turnaround for mm-hmm. Disney in terms of turning an animated se- uh, show, no, no, series, show, what are they called? The short ones. Films, that's it. <laughs> an animated film into a live action film, although we say live action. Can we call them live action? Anyway, mm. you know what I mean. But what I'm saying is The Rock is returning as live action Maui and that is fucking awesome. So I love a Disney Maui. animation as much as most people, uh, not as much as Ben does but <laughs> this Moana I love like I love the music of Moana I think it's great I think The Rock is fantastic as Maui and I'm very very psyched to see him returning here obviously the big question on everyone's mind will Tamara Morrison return as Chief Tui uh, <laughs> he's no good to me dead uh, we'll see I don't know I don't know I mean frankly Orly Cravalho could probably return as Moana yep uh, I would say she was very good in The Power which is currently showing on Prime Video which reviewed on the Pilot TV podcast oh, uh, but uh, yeah sorry for this guy you got I'm on you, you're, you're a man who it has been said appreciates the musical note uh, do you are you a Moana stand you enjoy it are you are you down with the village of Motunui <laughs> I'm down with the village I did enjoy Moana uh, I did enjoy <laughs> what <laughs> what it's unclear what's happening but carry on I said I'm <laughs> I don't understand why you're laughing so much no I'm no it's down, fine it's fine I'm down with the village what's you're, funny about you're down it's with a, the village it's a, it's a private joke between myself and myself anyway what was I saying yes I do enjoy the soundtrack when it came out I, I had your welcome on repeat a lot mm. um I'm not it's a sure. great karaoke number. <laughs> it really, really is. Do you know all the looks by heart? Uh, I, I reckon if you were to stick me in front of a karaoke mic, I could probably 
do a decent-ish job of remembering it, yes. Also, it helps that they're on the screen. <laughs> yeah, it helps that they're on the screen and it tells you what they are. So yeah, I guess I'd be fine. You've done karaoke. Um, you know how it works, Jimbo. It's been a while. I've not been Dan's lucky voice in a long time, it has to be said. James, you're just um, staring at the wall. That's it. <laughs> I don't understand. Where are the words? Do you know what? It's actually occurred to me. You know Alan Tudyk, obviously, who is their, uh, their mascot for this. Obviously, he plays the chicken in this. And it's just occurred to me that the character he plays is called Hey Hey! Uh, Does he so lay an egg? He's playing Babu Free. <laughs> he should lay an egg. He may lay an egg. I think only girl chickens lay eggs, though. I'm oh, reasonably okay. certain that's the, that's the case. Well, never give up. Never don't stop believing. <laughs> don't stop believing. Which is a mon's yeah. uh, karaoke go-to. Be this excellent to each other. Don't stop believing. What's happening? Uh, that's, a, that's a big song. Yes, big song. Is. Uh, luckily, Amon is down with the village. Uh, right, <laughs> I think that's it for the, I think that's it for the movie news. Oh God, I don't know what's happening anymore. Uh, I've lost <laughs> all feeling in my legs. Let's just plow on. <laughs> uh, let's have another guest. Let's have two guests, in fact. Let's have Amon. You're back up again. This is uh, Air. So Air is the the first film to unite Ben Affleck and Matt Damon since the last time they worked together which wasn't that long ago it's not as good a story as whenever The Last Duel came out and they hadn't worked together in years since the good <laughs> since the goodwill hunting uh, but you know it's good to see them back together again Ben Affleck directs Matt Damon stars and this is the story of how Nike took a bold swing on an up and coming basketballer called Michael Jordan and came up with the the Air Jordan, which I believe is one of the most iconic pieces of footwear in history. Uh, Amon, you spoke to Matt Damon, Matt Damon, and his co-star Marlon Wayans, didn't you, for this? Who, who did they both play? Tell the folks at home. <laughs> so Do you Matt- remember? It was... It was <laughs> Matt Damon plays James Friedman. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Damon, I know who Matt Damon plays. He plays Sonny Baccaro. Right, okay. Um, who is sort of the lead of the film, and he's the one who's really leading the charge to land the Michael Jordan deal. Right. The, the Marlon Wayans character, I've forgotten who he plays. Were you aware that he Marlon plays... Wayans was going to be part of this interview? Were, were you surprised? <laughs> no. <laughs> I knew he was going to be funny to you. Had a great do you time. ask him any questions, or do you just do you just pretend he's not there? What, what's what's happening? It was a really fun chat, actually. Okay, um, good. And he had a great answer. He only Marlon is only in it for one scene. I know he plays the basketball coach of the 1984 Olympics, and Michael Jordan was on that team, and. Michael Jordan actually specifically requested Marlon Wayans' character be in the film because without that person, he might not have gone to Nike in the first place. That's exciting. Um, so, so yeah, and Marlon Wayans comes in for one scene and he absolutely kills it. So we talked a little bit about that. And yeah, it was a fun chat. I enjoyed this one. I, Amazing. It, 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 went, it was over very quickly and I had a lot more questions, which was a bit of a shame. But oh, We'll get good. them back in. We'll get them back in. Uh, I'm sure they're lurking outside even now. Anyway, here we go. Matt Damon and Marlon Wayans, stars of Air. Enjoy. Uh, we are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by two of the stars of Air, Mr. Matt Damon and Mr. Marlon Wayans. How are you, guys? We're good, man. Yeah, good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. If you're anything like me, the first pair of Jordans that you bought, they were significant. Do you remember... What that was, you remember the first time that happened for you? Um, I right. didn't, I couldn't afford them, man. I was, we were poor, <laughs> like, I could barely afford the Adidas with the shell on it. 
had <laughs> the plain ones and nobody wanted to even like rob me of those. Um, <laughs> first Jordans I got, my brothers was on in living color. And uh, and my brother Damon um, used to get free Nike swag because, you know, they had it on the TV show. And uh, my brother Damon sent me a pair of the Michael Jordan. Uh, I think it was the, the Jordan ones. Uh, wow. Black and red. Oh, wow. And uh, that was my first pair of Jordans. Amazing. But you met? Yeah, I was the same. I I I couldn't I couldn't afford them, but uh, but uh, we did find a picture of Ben's little brother uh, with with a pair of them on. So I don't know how he finagled them. Casey was always a real enterprising kid. He used to sell sausages at Fenway Park, like on one of those sausage stands. So like he had a job from the time he was really young. So I guess he he got the money together and and got himself some. Nice, nice. Uh, I get the sense that both of you are big MJ fans coming into this. Was there anything you found out in the course of researching this and getting to know your characters better that really surprised you? And Marlon, I'll start with you. Um, that his mama made his deal. I'm like, I wish my mama would have made my deal. <laughs> I, I, I wish my mama would have made my scary movie deal. Like, call the Weinsteins and remake that deal. Because <laughs> his mama was on to something. My mama, I'm like, come on, girl. <laughs> I think yeah I, for us like like when Ben met with him and, and asked him what really mattered to him what he said was really interesting which were Ho- Howard White right Chris Tucker's character and and the role that Howard played uh George Raveling was uh Marlon's character and 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 Jordan was explicitly said that with those two guys were instrumental in him going and finally his mom and and what you know she famously got, he didn't even want to get on the plane and go to Oregon for the meeting and mm. she made him go and and uh and and when he talked about his mom he talked with such reverence um you know and Michael's a very intimidating guy when you meet him in person i mean he takes over a room he's you know he he is the goat and you feel that energy when he walks in right and and Ben called me right after and goes it was amazing like watching that guy have reverence and awe in his eyes when he talked about his mother. He was like, so we went, all right, well, that's what the movie is. Like, that's what we have to do. And then the final thing that he said to us was, or to Ben, he said, he was like, uh, you know, Ben said, who, who would you like to play your mother? And before Ben got the sentence out, he was like Viola Davis. And it was like, all right, good news, bad news. We know what the movie is now. The bad news is we got to try to get Viola. Like, you know, she's an American treasure. You can't just call her up and be, and be like, hey, do the movie because Michael Jordan wants you in the movie. That's like saying, like, I'm starting a basketball team and I want Michael Jordan to play on my basketball team. Like, so our whole task then became, all right, how do we write a movie that that that's worthy of her, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then once she agreed to come, like Marlon and and like Chris Tucker, like, what we really needed from these actors was to help us build these roles. And all three of them are writers in their own right. And so they were re- hugely helpful in, in, in building out these scenes and creating these characters. I'll bet, I'll bet Viola was, as she always is, amazing. Marlon, yeah. you come in with this movie for one scene, but it's a fantastic scene. On the day, are you coming in with like five different ways you could play it? And how many takes of it did you do? More than five. Um... <laughs> no we i just have fun like it felt like you know you go into a set I, you always have ideas right i always have ideas because i always i think the most important thing is preparation so when i go into a set 
You know, I know I only have one scene, but I literally work with my coach for a week because I wanted to go in there and I'm, I know I'm working with, you know, Oscar winners and I got to go in there and really fill out a character. So um, sometimes it's harder when you don't have a lot about a character and when your scenes are smaller. So I it's went in much there harder. I think, I think that's right. It, it, right. Much it's when you have a lot of stuff to do, it's, it's hard when it's just like you have this little part and it's like this big character and you're trying to figure out what part to use, how much do you put on it? And um, I just felt so good. Um, Matt and, and Ben just set the stage for us to go have fun. It felt like a playground. And, you know, sometimes Ben would be like, yeah, try this. And I'd be like, you sure? And then they let me off the leash. And I was just like, all right, well, I got this one. <laughs> what about that? And then I just started having fun and, and it was comfortable. And, you know, Matt's enjoying. And after the take, they're laughing and they're like, one more. And it just felt good. So, you know, when you have a, um, a stage that feels that warm, it, it, it's it's welcoming. And um, that that's kudos to to Ben and Matt for the, the, the temperament of that set. And that's how you get great performances. And so. We were yeah, Marlon wrote some. There were so many ad libs in there and so many things he was just trying out. And that is the best feeling. Yeah, I agree that w when you feel totally free to kind of put yourself out there and put these ideas out there. And we used I mean, as, I mean, Marlon knows I, we were just laughing about it. We, we used yeah. just about every single ad lib he put in there is in the movie. Um, and then it's all around this really true thing that happened, which is this incredible story about George Raveling and the I Have a Dream speech. I mean, it, like how it's like we were so shocked when, you know, there's a story there's raveling is on YouTube telling that story. And so we just took it from his own from an interview that he did. And um, the idea that the greatest speech in the history of our country mm -hmm. was improvised, like it's 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 incredible. It's just because it's it's the most iconic speech and everybody knows the words to it. And. You know, he's halfway through the speech and he changed it up. It was just really like an unbelievable piece of U.S. history. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. I read that scene, I was like, oh, I got to do this. It, it reminded me of like one of those great scenes that uh, Quentin Tarantino often puts in his films for like an actor, like a Christopher Walken or somebody to come in or a, a Dennis Hopper, somebody come in and just do like a great take on on this great, like uh, iconic uh scene and I, I just it felt special so and yeah. I, I wanted to do it film night has 10 rules that he likes to abide by are there any rules of acting that you like to abide by Matt no I think to, to Marlon's point it really is about the environment feeling relaxed right mm. like I mean it, because you know, like Marlon's very prepared for that scene. I was very prepared. We went in, we did it a few times as scripted, but then it was like, all right, well, we got those, like, let's start to mess around. And that's when it gets really fun. And you might only get like one moment in a take, but suddenly it's like, it's just like a little, it's, it's a little piece of inspiration. And you start to kind of build it that way. And, and that's why we do what we do. That's why, I mean, for me, it's why I love it. I love going to work in an environment like that. This, this was like selfishly just a ridiculous job for me because I, I, I went to work every day and I was opposite a heavyweight every day um, and just playing with the best who've ever done it, you know? And so it was like, it was just sheer joy for me. And, you know, that feeling that Marlon's talking about was the feeling we had on the set every day, no matter who was working. And, um, you know, I, I leaving myself out of it to not pat myself on the back. I can objectively look at the performances in the movie and go, man, these everybody really brought their A game. Like everyone's great. Yeah. You can feel the support through the monitor, right? 
I mean, as a as a, a, a producer myself, I know what the monitor feels like when I'm in the scene. So I'm sitting there and you could feel the people at the monitor enjoying because the person, the people in the scene are enjoying. And the director, Ben, God bless his soul, had the camera and to, <laughs> on his <laughs> on his neck. And, and me and Matt were doing a long take. And Ben, you just hear, <laughs> and he puts the camera down and he's like sweating. <laughs> I remember how hot it was in there and Ben was long. drenched in sweat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some, of my, some of my favorite scenes in this movie are just a phone call between two different characters. And yeah. Matt, you especially, you do a lot of great phone acting in this movie. Well, and I'm wondering... When you're filming yeah. it, are you, are you hearing Chris Messina and Viola Davis at the end of these calls? And is there any so here's a, to not having the actors in front of you when you're playing so, so, so that you can play off them? All right. This is a really cool thing. I was just telling Marlon this. So Ben did this thing in this movie that <clears throat> that I've never done before. Normally, when you do a phone call scene, you're you're reading with like the script supervisor, like you're in a phone that's not even plugged in. And there's someone sitting by the camera saying the other actor's lines or maybe you get an actor to call in from their house, but the line, the connection's always bad and you can't hear him and you end up going, I'd forget it. I'll just do it with the script supervisor. What Ben did was he actually brought in extra cameramen that day, camera operators, and he staged both scenes at the same time. So that it, wow. whether, so Chris Tucker, when he shot the scene in the phone booth, he's on a phone booth down outside the building we were shooting in. Chris Messina was in an office in the same building that I was in you know, uh, down the hall and around the corner. So uh, Viola was in the set, in the building. Her That home was built inside our sound, the stage we were shooting on, the, the office building we were shooting on. So we're doing the scenes. We're both on camera at the same time. We're doing the scenes together. We can talk over each other. We can. So I'd never done that before. And it's a little more expensive because you're bringing in extra people and extra gear. But it, what you get was just really, uh, I, th I think, so worth it. Because as you yeah. said, there's a lot of these phone scenes and they're pivotal. You want to get them right. And so rather than shoot your side of the phone call and then three weeks later, the other actor shoots their side of the phone call and then you try to match them up in the edit, just mm -hmm. let the real scene play between the two actors and let it be alive and then just capture it. Um, there's a really great scene where Phil Knight is talking to Sonny and he's talking about the making strategic, thoughtful, considered decisions in building a business. And that is really interesting when it comes to this film. And I also want to relate that to acting a little bit. What was the movie or project in your career that felt like a risk at the time, but paid off? Requiem for a Dream. Mm. Mm. Uh, I, think, uh, I think that movie, I, I had to, first of all, Darren Aronofsky, didn't want somebody on the WB network on the frog network in that movie. And <laughs> I, I, I had to convince him like that. I went to performing arts high school that I knew how to, how to act. And I had to audition for that like seven times. But mm -hmm. when I first read the script, I didn't like the way the character was talking. He was talking like jive. And I was just like, black people don't talk like that. And, and then mm -hmm. I saw, and I didn't understand where he was going with that. And then I watched pie. And when I seen Pi, everything crystallized because then I seen what the movie was going to be through his eyes and what the character was going to be. And then I was just like, I have to get this movie. And it was one of those movies that it paid off because it's the one movie people can always look at and go, you know, he's funny. He's crazy. He played a white chick. He played a little person. But for a dream, he was really good in that movie. 
And so that, mm. that one paid off for me dramatically. Yeah, I think that's what's hard about being a stand-up, right? And being known for being funny. Like people don't, I don't think, appreciate the chops it takes to be funny. And uh, most of the kind of quote unquote funny co- comic actors that I know are are extraordinary actors, period. And mm-hmm. they and I think it's that's that's a it's too bad. Sometimes they get stigmatized as, oh, well, he can only do this or he can only do that. You know, Ben and I obviously don't believe that at all. And, and uh, you know, I mean, look, our career got launched really with Robin Williams, you know, very famous funny guy actor who was actually just you know a, a brilliant beautiful actor um kind of across the board yeah um yeah um matt does your instinct for risk taking as an artist ever conflict with your producerial uh sort of instincts <laughs> uh now that you're moved now that you moved into the movie making uh industry a little bit more and uh, I, having that's a great question them. I hope not, uh, you know, because I think, look, in in this movie, I think what was interesting about like where Phil Knight is in his life as this movie starts, right? Nike's this, he's built from the back of his trunk, a car, uh, you know, of his car, a a, a billion dollar business. And now he's got oversight from a board and now he's got all this stuff. But it's really his appetite for risk that's going to launch them into this other place. And and uh, and Ben kind of likened it to, you know, Phil was a pirate who basically then found himself as the captain of the ship. Right. So how do you reconcile those two things? Right. Because it's your it's your brilliant kind of revolutionary spirit that got you there. But now you've got to manage this thing. And can, right. And so it's a very tricky moment. And, uh, you know, I think for Ben and me starting this company, it's, we just have to remember why we're doing it. And we're doing it to make great movies. And that's first and foremost. And People need great movies and our friends make great movies. And so we're just going to work with our friends and work really smart and uh, make sure that the the profits are shared by the people who are making the movie great. And everybody should win in, in that regard. And as long as people still want great movies, and I think people do, then we should be able to stay in business. I think good people and good artists and you mix the two and great things happen. I think a director, an actor and the producers set the temperament for the entire set of 150 people. And when you have those roles being assumed by the same people who are good people, it makes for a great production for everybody. And Matt and Ben, I'll tell you one of the best experiences I had. I know it was only a day, but it was a man. It was a damn good day. It was a hell of a day, man. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. As I said, really enjoyed the movie. So congratulations to you. And thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Okay, so that was Marlon Wayans and Matt Damon, the stars of Air. And you know what? Let's start the review section with Air, which is about, as I said, the decision to create the Air Jordan and basically turn Nike into the juggernaut that it is today. True story, Ben Affleck's character in this movie is in real life the father of Travis Knight, director of Kubo and the Two Strings and Bumblebee. There you go. True story, folks. Surely it's Travis Nike. Travis Nike. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they should have changed by Deadpool. I'm on. Mm. You, you've seen this movie, and fortunately, I haven't due to being struck down with the lurgy. Mm. Tell us about it. Yes, so you are correct. Uh, the movie revolves around the 1984 deal to sign then-rookie who had not played one single NBA game, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, 
uh, who, <laughs> who, in my opinion, and any other sensible sport person's opinion, is the greatest basketball player of all time. The Ooh, goat. Okay, okay. Um, I thought you were going to say greatest sports person of all time, in which case I was <laughs> I was about to leap in. But okay, that's fine. With what? Phil the Power Taylor. Oh, stop okay. it! <laughs> Just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and you would be wrong. Um, so, yes. And uh, as I said, Matt Damon, Sonny Vaccaro, uh, he works at Nike. Phil Knight is the boss at Nike. They are trying to land Michael Jordan. And really, it's half about that and also half about Violet Davis's character. She plays Dolores Jordan, uh, who is obviously the mother to Michael. They need to sway her and uh, to help her bring Michael Jordan to the table at Nike so that they might present him with this deal. Um, so I really enjoyed this one as somebody who is a massive basketball fan who grew up on Michael Jordan's greatness with my three older brothers. I was very largely sort of in the tank for this one. I did enjoy all the corporate speak. Um, I, I enjoyed the dynamic between Ben Affleck and Sonny, between Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's characters. That was cool. And people who don't necessarily have a big role like a Marlon Wayans, like a Chris Tucker, they do make the most of their screen time as well. Uh, there's some fantastic phone acting by Chris Messina <laughs> in this film as well, which is very, very entertaining. My one sort of kind of issue with this is that as I was watching it, as much as I was enjoying it, I was like, why is Violet Davis limited to only a handful of scenes? I'm not sure if you guys saw a film called Straight Outta Compton in 2015. But it's a really great film about the NWA sort of rap group. Imagine if that film had Paul Giamatti's manager oh. as the lead and the NWA rap group as supporting. That's kind of what this film is doing to a degree because this is about Michael Jordan. It's about that shoe. And yes, I get it's about Nike, but to a large degree, this is a black story that's being told by what <laughs> by a white director with white characters at the fore. And the balance of that feels a bit off to me. Um, I feel like it would have been more compelling, especially if you have Violet Davis's character be the lead. You can then give Michael Jordan, who is played by an actor, but he never really speaks, his face is not shown on screen. Violet Davis, Delores Jordan is the mouthpiece for that. If you have her be the lead, you can give him agency, you can get more about that relationship which is in large part what this movie probably should have been about in some respects, at least for, at least for me. Which is not to say that I didn't enjoy what we saw, um, but that focus felt a little bit off to me. We gave us one three stars, three stars for Air. Uh, Amon is very much, in this case, an Air Bud. <laughs> James, real quick, because I know we, we have the Pilot TV guy knocking at the door outside. We do. I, I saw you uh, motioning to Boyd. Fuck him, leave him in the corridor. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, which Ruse is... Ruse de Guerre. I was going to say the latest film from Guy Ritchie, but it kind of isn't because this came out... A little story here. I saw this film a year ago whenever I interviewed Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham together for the podcast. By the way, that interview is going to be on next week's show because this week's show was just too jam-packed uh, and someone had to go in the end. Uh, so this has been knocking around for a long, long time. It was a casualty of the sad uh, closure of STX mm. and now it's going to be on Prime Video this week. Uh, He's already shot and edited 14 movies since Guy Ritchie. Mm. Uh, but what about this one? This was going to be the beginning of a franchise and feels like it's already uh, over. 
Yes, I think it probably is. But this is kind of like Guy Ritchie, Aladdin aside, has kind of broadly speaking two main oeuvres. He has crime and he has espionage. And this falls into, I guess, more the latter group. There's a bit of both in there. So this stars Jason Statham, who I believe has never worked with Guy Ritchie before. Uh, (laughs) He plays elite spy Orson Fortune, which is... (laughs) A name, frankly, worthy of Gerard Butler. Uh, and uh, he's a spy for hire, and he's been contracted by His Majesty's government to track down uh, a weapon which is being traded by an arms dealer called Greg, played by Hugh Grant, who is trying to do something which appears to be a cross between Phoenix Buchanan, Ben Kingsley and Sexy Beast, and Stephen Grant from Moon Knight. So it's uh, it's an accent that's, I, I think it's fair to say, is quite hard to pin down, but he is a lot of fun. But mm-hmm. crucially, the thing they're trying to track down, and we don't I'm not going to say what it is, but it goes by a code name. And that code name is The Handle. So this whole film can really be summed up with one very simple question. Where's The Handle? Oh, Where, no. Help me find it. Where is it? And that's basically the entire plot of this film. They are searching for The Handle. They don't know where The Handle is. They are looking for The Handle. They want someone to give them The Handle. They don't have The Handle. So... uh on Orson Fortune's team, you have Aubrey Plaza as Sarah. You've got uh, Bugsy Malone in there as JJ. And to try and get Hugh Grant's Greg on board, they enlist the help of a Hollywood star going by the name of Danny Francesco, played here by Josh Hartnett. And it's all very, very very silly. It has lines in it like, and I'm going to quote you, there's a reason they call him the Dark Angel of Merciless Death, Mike. Yeah, uh, no. that is <laughs> That's incredible. It's incredible. That is a line which is, de- which is delivered, I have to emphasize, quite straight. <laughs> the bad guy is called Mike. It's incredible. <laughs> the bad guy is literally just called Mike. Um, the thing I will say about this, like, so, so, he does lots of... He's Guy Ritchie, so there's a lot of visual stuff in here. There's some random split screen. There's a weird reverse POV gun cam shot where he's got a gun attached to Statham's... Uh, sorry, a camera. Not a gun. That'd be weird. He has a camera <laughs> attached... Not a gun attached to Statham's camera. A camera attached to Statham's gun looking at his face as he's shooting people, which is weird, but he goes with a couple of kind of like fancy visual effects. It's got a kinetic energy to it. It rarely stops moving, and it's quite enjoyable. <laughs> Old Statham is very, shall we say, deadpan in this Mm -hmm. and kills a fuck ton of people in, let's be honest, a hail of bullets. (laughs) I think he's perfectly paired with Aubrey Plaza who seems on the verge of cracking up all the way through this film. I really enjoyed her performance in this. Hugh Grant obviously steals the show. He is hamming it up like nothing on earth. He looks like he is having the best time he's ever had. He is living his absolute best life in this film. But I just don't think the plot really hangs together. It's not very interesting. It's not very clever. It doesn't go anywhere particularly surprising. So you're not bored because I think the performances carry it along. And I think it has in its favor that although it's very, very silly, I think Richie knows it's silly Mm -hmm. and he leans into it a bit, but he doesn't lean into it enough. Mm -hmm. And I think whereas Grant is hilarious, I think if you want to see Jason Statham in a genuinely funny spy movie, Spy is right there uh, and this isn't that. So is it worth watching? I mean, Carrie Elwes does a very odd English accent. That might be quite fun. Eddie Marsan's in there as a representative of our government. That's enjoyable too. I can't say this is one of Richie's best works. I really enjoyed Wrath of Man uh, and I don't think this is up on that level. We gave this three stars. I would say if you're in a good mood, the sun is shining, it's quite warm, and you've just had an Easter egg, three stars. (laughs) On any other day, it might be closer to two, but it's somewhere in that ballpark for me. (laughs) Amon, what do you think? Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you just said. There's just nothing in this film that we haven't seen done before 
and many better. times better. It, many times by Guy Ritchie. <laughs> exactly. Like the man from Uncle actually has a lot of similarities yeah. in this film, and that is a significantly better film. The action is slick, but it's not really memorable. Jason Statham is very, very good, but he's been much funnier and much cooler in films like Spy before. Yeah. So yeah, when you had John Wick just come out a couple of weeks ago with the action being his top tier. And when you got Mission Impossible coming out very, very <laughs> soon, and you got this in between, which is shares elements with both of them, but doesn't do either of them nearly as well. It's just like, mm. um, but yeah, at the same time, I wasn't bored. I didn't sort of hate watching it. It's more than tolerable. It's just like, I'm, I'm good. I, 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 more I, than I, tolerable. I'm on woman. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> I've, I've, I've already sort of forgotten it, you know. Yeah. And I watched it like yesterday. So. I like Ruse the... Um, Ruse de Girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and next week when you hear the interview with the, with the Stath and the Rich, uh, they talk about their approach to action and stage and action scenes. And I honestly can't tell if they were just taking the piss. Uh, because <laughs> if they weren't, then it's a very interesting way to approach uh, shooting action. Uh, anyway, no spoilers for next week. Uh, I Yeah, I think this is a perfectly cromulent movie um, I enjoyed Florence Pugh's cameo where she dies in a, in a hail of bullets in a hail of bullets yeah but um, anyway scrum to a lesson three stars <laughs> three stars then for oh. Operation Fortune Ruse yeah. de Guerre if you give your uh, big franchise shot a subtitle that makes people think it's going to be a franchise but I think sadly this one is going to be a one and done Operation Misfortune. Operation Misfortune. <laughs> uh, next up, very, very quickly, because time is again as Boyd is, he's halfway through the wall now. He's actually he just is. trying to, he's trying to batter through the wall with a sledgehammer. Don't uh, make the him door, angry. The door is right there, Boyd. The door is right there. Uh, what am I saying? What's the next film? The, it's, um, it's, oh yeah, Okie Dokie. It's, <laughs> it's the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh yes, indeed. It is here. Good. I'm on. <laughs> Uh, so yes, you got Chris Pratt and Charlie Day as Mario and Luigi. They are brothers with their own plumbing business in New York. Uh, they fall through a portal. They get lost in the Mushroom Kingdom. Uh, they uh, befriend Princess Peach, who's voiced by Anya Taylor-Joy, and assist her in standing up to the evil Bowser, voiced by Jack Black, who has designs on conquering the Mushroom Kingdom and everything else. Um this, this is based film. on a true story. <laughs> <laughs> it's based on a Nintendo video game. It's just like uh, air. <laughs> <laughs> this film, it feels like they went into this and were like, how much Mario stuff can we put in this film first? And then what's the most interesting story we can tell utilizing all of that second rather than what's the most interesting Mario story we can tell first? And then what kind of Easter eggs might be might we be able to sprinkle in second, which is what they perhaps should have done. Um, if you are after Easter eggs, this film has them in spades. Pretty much everything is an, is an Easter egg. You've got the Rainbow Bridge. You've got the spooky house from Luigi's Mansion. You've got the Donkey Kong level. There's all of that and more. I will say that the visuals are really, really colorful and they do pop and I do, did enjoy that. And when they tap into the spirit of the games, like with that Rainbow Bridge sequence, it does have its fun moments. I also really enjoyed Brian Tyler's score, which uh, riffs on the Koji Kondo motifs of the sort of classical, classic Mario video game. But yeah, as I say, the story is as shallow as it could possibly be. My goodness, the brotherly relationship with Mario and Luigi is basically summed up with if we stick together, everything will be okay. That's basically the sum total of that. There's a thing with Mario and his father 
his father's disappointed in, his, in, in him and his plumbing business, then at the end, it's like, Mario, I'm so proud of you. And that is the end of that. Is, it, as shallow as it could possibly be, that is what this film is. And I get that it's a movie for kids and what have you, but we've seen when, that when animated movies strive for better, strive for more, they can cater to both kids and older uh, sort of people as well. Um, so I, I wish that this movie would have done that because I actually think that some of the things that they have on the table, they could have done more with that and had more substance in there than they actually do. So that was a bit disappointing. Also disappointing, the vocal performances, save for Jack Black, who is having a great time and who gets to sing a couple of times and, the, and those scenes I think are genuinely funny. Nobody else really stood out to me. Uh, they, haven't, they have an explanation as to why um, Chris Pratt and Charlie Day aren't doing the voice, which I'm not sure I fully buy, considering that everything else around them is leading into the voice, is leading, is saying, the amount of times I heard Mamma Mia in this movie, my goodness. <laughs> so I just don't understand. If you're going to do that, why not just go full in? Why not just actually cast the actual voice actor they actually have him in this film he's the, mm -hmm. he's the first Martinet. person yeah. yes he's the first person we hear in this movie actually before Chris Pratt comes in so it's just like you have him if there. you're going to declare a war on the Italian people do it right <laughs> right so Forever. yeah I I, yeah, I was underwhelmed um, but it's probably going to make a lot of money it's Easter weekend half term and what have you they're going to the family's going to take their uh, kids to see this it's Absolutely watchable not. it's watchable but I I was underwhelmed. I wanted more from this than it ultimately gave me. Yeah, uh, this is a tricky one. Obviously, I've got an interview coming up with Chris Pratt and Charlie Day. I had a lot of fun talking to them. Mm. Uh, I had more fun talking to them than I did watching their movie, sadly. But mm. I think the movie itself, this is basically what we thought the Lego movie was going to be. Mm. And it's so first base. The screenplay at the end might as well be just credited to Nintendo because there's... <laughs> There's absolutely a sense that anything that was edgy or interesting uh, or an interesting take on these characters in this world just didn't get past the Nintendo veto. Um, and it's a bit of a shame. This was directed by Michael Jelenic and Aaron Horvath, who directed the Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Yes, movie. I know, which makes this all the more like, what? It does, because that was just a gag fest. I know James doesn't like it, but there's a comedy. He doesn't like anything. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, that was terrific. This is not terrific, sadly. Uh, I you know I like animated movies you know I I will watch I will watch animated films and and chuckle away chuckle away I think I laughed three or four times at this but uh, but hey ho and I feel bad because I'm about to introduce a, an, an interview with Chris Pratt and Charlie Day but I I really liked them their movie less so and we were on the same page two stars for the Super Mario Brothers movie uh, I honestly haven't seen the Bob Hoskins John Leguizamo one but apparently it's it's terrible Better. but at least has <laughs> at least has ambition at least has yes. madness going for it oh it's this completely one, demented this one does completely doesn't. demented i yeah. am getting evils through the window i'm, I'm all right give two, two right. minutes uh, two, two minutes two minutes give fuck off uh all right uh what else uh, the pope's exorcist we can't really review because i'm on signed a terrifying embargo the and power of christ compels you as with 65 we we're bound by that embargo so we can't really review it but Amon, give me a, a rough facial expression <laughs> well, that translated well to an audio I medium. Know, I don't know what five stars. It sounds like five stars. Five stars. Five then. stars. Then. Yes, it's, for the Pope's it's, exorcist. It's All right, solid. okay, it's, real quick, give it from from the Pope's exorcist. What would the Pope's exorcist give this? Three, three. Wow, you take I, it up with his boss, the Pope. <laughs> 
Very exciting indeed. Yeah. Uh, we'll be probably not reviewing that on next week. Let's be honest, but uh, that's also out this week. So uh, you can go see The Pope's Exorcist if you fancy a slab of horror. Uh, and here is that interview. We're going to finish off with Chris Pratt and Charlie Day, who, of course, play Mario and Luigi. Uh, fascinated to find that Walkie Charlie Day has a little bit of Italian in his heritage. Uh, so, so that's fine. Chris Pratt, as far as I can tell, has none. But as far as I know, neither does Charles Martinet, who is the voice of Mario, who basically he got the gig by walking into an audition had no idea what he was doing it was told it was an Italian guy so he just started doing as far as I can tell the most offensive voice he could think of, possibly <laughs> think of. and then thus became one of the most beloved characters of all time so there you go anyway Chris Pratt and Charlie Day um, you know Charlie Day you know him from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and sundry other movies uh, and Chris Pratt has been in some television shows and films of some repute as well so I had a, I had a lot of fun talking to them when they came into London a couple of weeks ago. Enjoy. I'll give you guys a big introduction. Podcast. And away we would go. Yeah, get ready to get ready to dominate the podcast arena. Yeah, you already do. You already I do. do. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You dominate it. I know, but we haven't been doing it. We're kind of behind. You're coming here though, aren't you, Charlie? We are coming here. This yeah. is Chris Pratt and Charlie Day, the stars of the Super oh. Mario Brothers movie, of course. Yeah. Welcome to the Emperor Podcast, guys. Okay. We're eating into our time, but Charlie, you, you, you dominate the podcast world like a colossus. We started dabbling in it, yeah. yeah. Uh, although, uh, then we, we stopped recently just because we've been doing the show, but uh, we'll go back. But yeah, we're going to come here. We're going to do, do a live show, yeah. Do a live show yeah. in gonna town. Be, that's going to be fun. At this Royal Albert Hall. You ever heard of it? <laughs> I, I yeah. believe. Mm. Yeah. I've been there once or twice, yeah. Nice big round room. Yeah, pretty nice. cool. That's yeah. nice. I like a round yeah. yeah, Royal Albert. I like to be like someone's behind me, you know. <laughs> At any second, they could pounce. Yeah, <laughs> Chris, you, you could you could dominate the podcast world as well. Could I? Yeah, you could. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, you think if schmoes like me can do it, nah. then you guys can do, can do it. It is kind of fun. Yeah, just to just to be able to talk at such length. That you can really get in depth on things. I love it. I think it's great because it's never there's never a rush. You can just really just have conversations, right? It's nice. Yes, yeah. it's, it's I like that about it. Mm. Which um, is and obviously, you can know, I come on your podcast? Yeah, sure. Yeah, if we ever do it again. <laughs> but so you are like doing it again. You're doing a live show. Kind of I know. Like, no. I got to egg my partners like a nice on. No, <laughs> wasn't it? I have you on any time. Let's start our own podcast. Yeah, as Luigi and Mario. Yeah, yeah. Do it in character. In character. Would you swap characters or would you keep yes, the yeah, characters that you've got from mm-hmm. the film? Your yeah. audience would guess who, who did it. Yeah, which, <laughs> you know, you're just listening, so you can't tell. So I have to ask about the, because obviously you are the Super Mario Brothers. Right. Now, I, I have a surface level knowledge of Nintendo, so maybe there's answers out there already. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But what, what is Mario and Luigi's surname? Is it Brothers or is it Mario or is it something else? Do you know? Did you do a deep dive into the, I think it's into Mario. the characters in the background? It is. It's Mario and Luigi Mario. I mean. And Luigi. It's Mario and Luigi Mario and Luigi. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that makes yeah, perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Mario makes, and Luigi. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mario and Luigi Nintendo. Mario and Luigi Nintendo. Well, now it yeah, all yeah. makes sense. So yeah. when you got these roles, did you do deep dives or did you just... Break out the old GameCube or 64 or whatever, whatever your Nintendo device of choice was growing up, and do a deep dive that way. Do you want the truth or do you want like a good answer? I want both. Okay, okay. is, is, is I mean, it truth, I... not a good answer, Chris? 
Huh? Is the truth not a good answer? Usually, I it's mean, not. Uh, we didn't do. <laughs> I didn't do a lot of plumbing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what he's asking. No. Yeah, 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 How much yeah. plumbing did you do? You didn't um, go. I grew my mustache. I put on some white gloves. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I mean, nothing but mushrooms. I'm so sore from bashing through bricks. Yeah, and uh, not <laughs> a single no, coin. Yeah, yeah. I made not no money. A I lost money because I had to go to the emergency room four times. Yeah, yeah. For bashing and my head in the people bricks. People are mad at what yeah. we're doing to their their home. Yeah. Um, but also. Pretty hard to get a turtle to bite you. Yeah, they turtles. Just go ah. right, right up into their shell. But if you wax them properly and flip them upside down, you can kick them or they'll bounce back and forth. <laughs> That's true. Quickly out of the wall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, so yeah, all that research looks good. That stuff, which was good. Yeah. Um, uh, no matter what flower I ate, I couldn't shoot fireballs. You can't out of shoot my fireballs. <laughs> it's not a real thing. <laughs> um, but you can have the attitude of one who shoots fireballs. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's sort of how you all of the research I needed to do. I started when I was nine years old. Yeah. I played so much. Super Mario Brothers as a kid that I know every level. Like I, I got back into the game and was playing it, and I was like, "Oh, I still remember exactly what to do. I can still sprint through every yeah, level." You sure. know what I mean? Yeah, the warps, all the shortcuts had to yeah, skip levels. I, I, I knew where all the, like the the coins were that are like invisible. You I know, know, I know the code. Uh, the free on guys. Contra, I think it was up, up, down, up, down, 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 left, right, right, left, right. B A select start. Come on, you learn this stuff as a kid. You never forget it. They say that that's the that's the age to learn a language. Nah. That's the age that, to memorize the patterns of video games. Yeah, but it's not that language, much productive. That's a language. You're playing yeah. these characters, and you're like, I'm, I'm going to become this character one day. Yes. And by the way, I always played Luigi because I had an older sister. She always got to go first. Really? And mm. so when she would die, then it would be my turn to play, and not die in real life, but die in the game. And then uh, I would play Luigi. Wow. I remember hearing people be like, Destiny, man. You're just, play, <laughs> you're just playing Super Mario Brothers all day. Why don't you do something with your life that you could actually, that'll help you as an adult? Mm -hmm. Little did they know, mm -hmm. I would grow up to voice Mario in the Super Mario Brothers yeah. movie and it completely yeah. helped me. So, hey. Yeah. yeah. So, it was all worth it. But now. Give up on school. Now we're Play that. video games. Yeah. <laughs> Nonstop. I know I'm that dad. Yeah. I'm like, are you going to be on the game for like five more minutes and then you yeah. got to get and off. you got to get off. Yeah. No screens. Do something productive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get outside. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing going on outside. So, what was the device of choice over you guys growing up? Was it GameCube? Was it 64? Regular was it something Nintendo for else? me. Regular okay. Nintendo yeah. for me too. Yeah, I, okay. I like a device I have to blow on. You know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and like try to jam something in there, mm -hmm. wiggle something in. A, Anything that yeah, when it's not know. working, you can smack it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it might work. Yeah. yeah. That's where I'm Technology at. has gotten to a point where we can't even yeah, you blow can't on it smack anymore. a Tesla. Yeah, you can't. It. No, you Tesla's can, not but you can't. It's, it's not advised. <laughs> yeah. It's not advised. No. Those things will, will react right. in interesting ways. Sometimes it, like the game would have to be pushed down a little further, so you'd have to take like some playing cards yeah, and stick them in, in there, wedge it in. Felt yeah. both digital and analog somehow. There was always one kid in the neighborhood who act who is like, it's not working. Brian, he's like, move. <laughs> Brian had it down. You got to call him. You're like, try it now. Anyone remember Brian's number? Yeah. It's a rotary phone. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Brian, can you go over? Yeah, it's sticking again. I remember. Brian was that's, that's Brian's service. That's did all you have he that would one do. buddy who would get like really mad he was gonna lose and would just hit the power button, like turn the game off. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Everybody that guy's the that. worst guy. Yeah, that guy's the worst. That guy's the I had worst. a guy who used to uh, play, used to throw his joystick, and this isn't obviously Nintendo, but he would throw his joystick out the window if we were losing. The window would be open. 
Oh, so that, you know, oh, so that would be all right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I cost me a lot of money that way. Oh my like, god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on, dude. Like, I'm a no. kid, man. I can't. <laughs> I, have this, I, you know, I, I remember I when I, this controller. Yeah. How could you? What? When I was a kid, my dad caught me playing Super Mario Brothers after I was supposed to. And you remember how the game would plug in to the TV. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the TV would plug into the wall and the game would plug into the wall. So the game would be operating whether the monitor was on or not. You know, my dad didn't realize that. And he came and he busted me. And he's like, and he just like looked at me and he's like, walked up, turned the TV off. (laughs) Maintaining eye contact yeah, the entire time. And then time. walked out. I was like, yeah. And he walked out. I was like, turn it back on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You didn't mess with my game, Dad. Like that. Yeah. This dad, this technology is so advanced. So advanced. <laughs> you like, just don't get it. You don't even get it, man. It's so far beyond you. Yeah. So when you guys went into the booth for the first time, then you were ready. You had we all had a this lot of, yeah. muscle memory. Yeah. 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 But I will say, uh, to the Nintendo's credit and to the fans' credit, the game has evolved uh, and the franchise has evolved way beyond yes. what I knew. So I did have some learning to do yeah. because there's been a lot more Mario Brothers since the first one. Did you know this? Were you I, I'm, I'm yeah. aware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they keep making them. Yep. They keep making them. The, the backstories keep getting more and more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's, a lot going exactly. on. Yeah. Peach wasn't even Peach in the original. Mm-hmm. It was just the princess. Well, she didn't go. become Princess Peach until later. Mm-hmm. Until like I think Nintendo sixty four was out or something like so that. Mario like, Kart, oh, Mario right? Odyssey or Kart or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, then she was Princess Peach, and that's when you could play it, play her as a character. She wasn't just some damsel; she was some hardcore hero that you could mm-hmm. be. This is like Nintendo school. This yeah. right now, right yeah. now. Listen, yeah. Listen, we've been in it for a little bit. You know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. You're paying yeah. it forward. Yeah. yeah, we're learning a lot <laughs> in real time. Kind of Nintendo senses. Yeah. So obviously, obviously, you guys have been in the Lego movies together as well. But mm. but we know how animated movies are generally made. So is this the first time you've met uh, right now today, or were you actually hi, in the booth? Nice it's Charlie, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, this is great. Oh, we've actually known each other for yeah. a long time. Which yeah, was, we have, which was good. And then uh, yeah, got to do the Lego things. But then that was kind of like I didn't see you there. I did a couple things, I think, with. Some of the cast sometimes, but it was sort of sporadic. They, yeah, they had like the second movie. Yeah, Chris and Phil, who are the directors of the Lego movie, did did seem to love throwing people in the same room just to get some of that energy. And so they okay. yep. it, that was a little bit unconventional because usually the voiceover type stuff, you they really want to isolate people. It's a, really the sound mixer's medium. He wants that voice to be perfect so he can mix it in. But it loses a little bit of the magic if you can't have improvisational artists working in the same room together. Yep. So there's value in that. We weren't able to do that on Mario Brothers movie, um, primarily because of COVID, but also uh, because the production house was in Paris. And so we were all kind of tuning in virtually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But also, I, I knew you in the Parks and Rec days. That's all right. the way back. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I'm still doing the same show. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I did a movie with your wife. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we sat next to each other on a plane in a scene that was cut from a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And periodically I'll get like a $16 residual check for that movie. Do you only get residuals if you get cut out of a movie? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. I was in bad company with Anthony Rock and uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins and Chris Rock. Whoa. And uh, cut out of that for sure. Yeah. And do you still get checks for that? I don't know. Like four bucks. <laughs> Like sixteen cents. Yeah, you'll yeah. get. Re- I'll get residual checks for things I did twenty years ago. They were very small, and it, it will be like 
one dollar and eleven cents. Or yeah, do yeah. you cash those checks? Come on, yeah. I, I got a check for zero once. Is that true? Yeah. So it it was like a check wow. for sixteen cents, but the tax had been taken out, <laughs> and so it was a check for zero dollars and zero cents. What did you do with that check? Uh, Can you think, cash a check I for zero? I think I just threw it away because I think. I was like, I want to like federal that offense. That's a federal cost offense. Me money. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think you throw your own check away. No, no, <laughs> you can't. You're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> cut, cut that. Cut but, that. Yeah, but it's fine. This is a non-extradition yeah, yeah, country. Yeah. You'll be fine. You'll, you'll you have to stay here yeah, for the rest of your life. Yeah, in this hotel. Yes, you can't leave. Not check. bad. I hope it was worth it. <laughs> yeah. Not bad. It was. This room yeah. surrounded by lap poster and forever. This, you know, all these accoutrements. Okay, that's going to get a little more challenging for me, but sure, yeah. I can make it work. We can make it work. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, one last thing before before I let you guys go. Uh, when you went in day one, finding the voices, did you have the voices down? No, I mean. Uh, you know, I was really kind of an open book for, I had some ideas, um, but I wanted to know what they wanted me to do. And then just as a performer, felt like up for trying all sorts of different things. And I feel like the first couple sessions were just trying to find specifically what they wanted it to be. I don't think they totally knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, you would be doing stuff and we would work at separate times. We'd be like, oh, Chris did something like this. And why don't you try some more like that? But um, and then I would forget, you know, like it would be like a few months since I recorded. Be like, OK, what did we do? And then they would, <laughs> they play it back for you like, OK, right. But uh, yeah, no, it was um, a work in progress, really. Yeah. yeah, it took me about three sessions, I think, before I really got comfortable and found what we were going to use as the voice moving forward. And it was a long process. The, the The entire script wasn't even really finished when we started recording the first sessions. Gotcha. And so I would go in and do like the first act and then try a few different ways. And I was going like... Like super cartoony sometimes, Super right? cartoony, yeah, then, much more heavy with the accent. Uh, and I feel the, like my first instinct was... Uh, playing it more natural just because that's what the lines read to me mm-hmm. like it, the, they didn't read super heightened and then uh and then we would go further and then we would keep kind of just going back and like okay you know like uh and i must say i was right but uh yeah, but you sounds know, like that's what you want to say know, <laughs> just say it the way, I wanted, the way i wanted to do it and, you know whoa whoa said, there well, you go Whoa. Someone do a certain way. Yeah. that's really good. <laughs> you got chills. Thanks, yeah, yeah. Chills. I got chills. Yeah. That was, he was just wow. finding Luigi. <laughs> finding him. Yeah. Finding Luigi. The documentary about Charlie Day's process. Yeah, Luigi. absolutely. Finding Luigi Nintendo. The nine-part series. That's right. It's From this room, because that's where you live now. Just in, yeah. in Japan. Yeah. Eating mushrooms, mm-hmm. then to Italy, mm-hmm. then to uh, a pizza the parlor Nintendo in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. Like and just it. yeah, and then in the hospital, recovering from the concussion you gave I yourself. Would, I would go see Finding <laughs> Luigi. Yeah, I would. I would see that. Finding sure. Luigi. I would see that as well. Uh, guys, look forward to that as well. Uh, Charlie, Chris, hey. pleasure. Thank yeah, you so much. Thank you. Great yeah, talking to you. Really appreciate it. All right, so that was Charlie Day and Chris Pratt. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast, unless I fill the buster for just a little longer and keep... Who's that? Is it Boyd and, and Kay? Oh, yeah. It's Kay. Boyd Kay's the one you want to watch. She'll fucking end you. Oh, yeah, right. she will. Yeah. Boyd and Kay, lest I invoke the wrath of the pilot TV people. Oh no, send your listener after me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you will die in a hail of bullets, mark my words. Because <laughs> your listener is Florence Pugh. And it's, yeah, uh, absolutely <laughs> true. <laughs> 
Anyway, that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham, star and director, but not respectively, of Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, plus... Nicholas Holt returning to the Empire podcast for the first time in Donkey's years. And he is a star of Renfield, where he plays Renfield. Very much looking forward to talking to him about that. Anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, James Dyer. Goodbye, James Dyer. Goodbye, Chris. We have Jennifer Garner and Charlie Murphy on the Pilot TV podcast this week, which is very, very exciting. But, uh, well, you know, you can listen to that on Monday. In the meantime, I'm off to get to get down with the village. <laughs> Get down with the village with Boyd I and Kay. Jennifer Garner interview. She was fantastic. It's true. That's true. Amon did the interview with Jennifer Garner. So Here if you want to hear him fuck that up, listen to the Pilot TV podcast. Oh, wow. On Monday. No faith. No faith. I heard he garnered the claim with that. Oh, dear. Anyway, it's goodbye from Amon Warman. Peace. Peace. Peace be unto you, my friend. <laughs> And it's goodbye. <laughs> okay, this has gone off the road. And it's goodbye. It's it's goodbye. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye. It's a goodbye from me. I am uh, I'm off to uh, audition for Super Mario Brothers Mario Two. Yeah, Super Mario Brothers movie too. Uh, Why are you trying me. to speak this into existence? This is not what we want. That's a me, the Pope's exorcist. Uh, you should take it up with my boss. I love Pope. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Thank you.